Hey everyone, I'm Lockie Mastel and it's great to have your company for another episode of Checkered Flag Chat. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that this podcast is normally aimed at telling the stories of motorsport characters or investigating current affairs within the sport. But it's Bathurst time, so for this episode, I just had to focus on previewing Australia's great race. Joining me to run through the form guide is Shane Jones. Jonesy and I studied together at Charles Sturt University, and not only is he one of my best mates, he's also an accomplished journalist with an in-depth knowledge of motor racing. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our Bathurst 1000 preview here on Checkered Flag Chat. It's uh, been a crazy year, but finally we've got a bit of normality back, sort of. Anyway, we're heading to Bathurst in October, albeit a week later than we normally would. And joining me for our Bathurst preview edition of Checkered Flag Chat, it's a good mate of mine from uni, uh, an experienced sports journalist and a self-confessed motorsport nut, Jonesy. Shane Jones, welcome to Checkered Flag Chat. Thanks for having me, Lachlan. And uh, yeah, looking forward to dissecting this year's Bathurst 1000 and I think I guess before we even start I think just to just the fact that we have a Bathurst 1000 this year given the climate and the circumstances of COVID-19 and and everything else is just a credit to the teams and supercars itself so yeah regardless of what we discuss over the next period of time I think we should all just be really glad and thankful that the Bathurst 1000 in some form is is on this year. Couldn't agree with you more, and especially when you think about the sacrifices that the Victorian teams have had to make in relocating interstate for many months and spending time away from their families and their homes just to be able to keep the championship moving along. And it all culminates now with the biggest race of the year. And I think for a lot of those Victorian teams in particular, they'll be quite relieved when it's all over and they can head back home for a well-deserved off-season break. Absolutely. And it's going to be fascinating to play out as well because a lot of them will be um, really ready to go home and, and spend plenty of quality time with their family and, and friends and everything else and, I guess, get some form of normality back into their life. But there's also the carrot of the Bathurst 1000 winning the Peter Brock Trophy. So it's going to be fascinating how those Victorian teams play and, and trying, to, I guess, to keep the team's mentality and spirits high for that one race. Probably won't be hard, but there's always, always going to be that factor of, oh, we are once this race is done, done for the year and we can go back home. So they will, that will play a part in the Victorian teams, but I also think that it might, that the carrot in itself, that the 1,000 will be enough to, to overlay any of those concerns and fears and I guess it's full steam ahead for all those teams. One of the expressions that gets bandied around a fair bit when we talk about COVID-19 is the new normal, and I'm doing air quotes here, hashtag new normal. Um, we don't have a vaccine yet, so... A lot of sporting events and other gatherings that we would normally attend in large groups, it means that various protocols have had to be implemented to minimise the risk of transmission of COVID-19. And in the case of the Bathurst 1000 this year, that means that only 4,000 fans are going to be allowed in the gates of Mount Panorama and they're going to be confined to socially distanced seating arrangements. And we're recording this podcast on the Friday a week before Bathurst. And today, Jonesy, we saw some pictures of those seating setups being released, and it's going to look very different, isn't it, to what we're used to? 
Hundred percent, and we're not even going to get people camping up at the top of the mountain, or even in the in the middle of the track, uh, not middle of the track, but middle of the area behind the pit lane. It's it's going to be a weird, I guess, feeling in some respects. But I think we've seen with a lot of sports, there has been that weirdness of not having crowds and spectators and people turn up and those sort of things. But the spectacle itself is still there. Um, we've seen it in the NRL, we've seen it in the AFL, we've seen it in the NBA, who have literally packed up and gone to one hub in Orlando in the United States. Whatever the situation, whatever we've seen, the, the spectacle and the competitiveness of the teams and the and the athletes that we all want to see, they, they're still there. They're still they're still doing their bit. They're still putting on, well, hopefully for Supercar's point of view, great racing, but for others, they're doing their deeds in whatever sport that they're doing. So while it's going to look weird by seeing people in deck chairs or seats rather than grandstands, we're going to see almost no spectators up on the hill. I still don't think that's going to deter away from the 1,000. And I think it's still going to be on the team's mindset that, yeah, the, the fans are not going to be here, but they're all going to be watching at home through whatever service that they that they use. And they still want to do a good job for their fans, for their sponsors, for their teams, and for everyone else in general. So I don't think we'll see a different Bathurst 1,000 per se in terms of the racing itself. But, yeah, we're going to have a really different Bathurst in relation to just the spectators and the crowds. And the unfortunate thing for Bathurst in itself is when the, the event's on, the, the, the crowds triple and double, or the, the town itself, the population does that. So we're not going to get that this year. We're going to be lucky to get maybe double uh, the population for this weekend. For some, that might be a good thing. But for the Bathurst tourism and Bathurst economy, that is going to have an impact Um for this year at least, but hopefully maybe next year with the with the way that the calendar is looking, we might get two hits of Bathurst um, for supercars and that might sort of allay a little bit of the, the, the loss for this year. But yeah, it's going to be a weird feeling, but I still don't think the 1,000 itself is going to deter. And I think if people are being going to be critical and saying, well, this Bathurst 1,000 is an outlier, I don't think it is. I think this year is probably going to be the biggest one to, year, to win out of a lot of them, given the sacrifices that the teams have gone through, and we'll get to that in a sec, um, it's probably going to be one of the hardest ones to win rather than the easiest ones to win. So um, based on that, if, if everyone, anyone's saying that it's an outlier this year, well, then they're mistaken because it's certainly going to be a very tough fought 1,000-kilometre race. And, yeah, may the best team win. Do you think 4,000 fans is enough, given that some sporting stadiums for rugby league and AFL matches, for example, are able to have 10,000 times that many spectators in a more confined area? It's a hard one. Um, I know a lot of people have been quick to, to provide their own opinion on on what the health health officers in each state should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. And um, I think people need to be in their shoes for just 10 seconds and figure out the, the, the lengths and the decisions that they do have to make. A lot of them for the first time in their life and a lot of them dealing with things that have multiple consequences regardless of where they go. So I think we need to be mindful that these decisions are not taken lightly regardless of whether they're fair, unfair or in between. Uh, back onto the point though, yeah, I think 4,000 is a little bit low. They probably could have bumped it up a couple of more thousand people. But again, um, if you compare it to a stadium, a stadium is an, is an enclosed space. Um, so say you go to Adelaide Oval, you go to the MCG, the ground can only host a certain capacity of people. So for Adelaide, it's 50,000, a little bit more than that. For MCG, it's 90,000, a bit more than that. 
uh, without getting too specific. Bathurst is a bit different. You've got the situation where people can be sprawled anywhere around the track. It's not hard to get access from one area to the other. And the other factor as well is it's not a designated capacity. It's a capacity more on, on square feet and how many people per area. So based on that, it's very hard to get a gauge of how many, I guess, the maximum capacity can be. And then based on that, making a definitive number is very hard. You can do it between one per square feet, but then the problem is you've got people wanting to camp up at the top. So are you going to give one person more feet to, to camp because they've got more equipment or are you going to give another pe- another person less space because they've only got a swag for the weekend? And I think that's where the situations become probably a bit too hard, particularly in these circumstances, to get a, an absolute gauge on. So I think 4,000 was a, was, a, was a number that was good because it allowed some fans to go and we can get the racing done. We can have some spectators there. Hopefully next year we don't have this issue. Everyone's got the, the vaccine and we can we can go racing with full capacity. People could go camping. But I think, yeah, I think 4,000 is a little bit long. What they could have had, they probably could have bumped it to 8 and 10 and really wouldn't have had an issue with capacity and those sort of things. But again, I can absolutely understand how difficult this decision would have been to make. And I think we've got to give them some credit for actually making a decision because at the end of the day, We've had we had people that were saying no, we actually shouldn't have crowds there this year, and I think the Bathurst Regional Council was um, was doing their utmost to make sure that that didn't happen because of the way that they've been handling COVID nineteen. So to get a crowd of some capacity is a win. Would we have liked more? Yes, absolutely. But I think in the circumstance and everything else, we take the four thousand. Hope it's a one off and move on to next year. Yeah, and I think the other thing as well is with the whole COVID safety regime that events are being forced to put into place these days, you need to be able to know specifically where people are. So by having 4,000 people and by having allocated seating so you know exactly who is in which seat, what that means is if one of those people turns out to then test positive for COVID after the event, well, then you can go, all right, well, that person was sitting in this seat, so therefore the people sitting in the seats surrounding them are going to have to be tested and potentially isolated as well. So it's a whole part of the COVID safety plan for the event, um, restricting it to 4,000 people and then managing exactly where those people are able to go. Moving on from that, though, because this year is going to be quite different to previous years in a couple of important ways. So for the first time since the year 2000, Bathurst will be the final round of the championship. You actually have to go back even before that, back to 1998 when Bathurst was not even a round of the championship to find the last time that the championship had been decided before Bathurst. With those factors in mind, how might this Bathurst be different to others in the ways that the teams and drivers approach the race? Well, let's not forget that the championship's not entirely wrapped up yet either. Like, yes, McLaughlin's got enough. Well, Scott McLaughlin's got enough points. He leads by 305 points. He can only win a maximum of 300 at Bathurst. But let's not forget that, and we've seen it, we saw it last year. We saw all the drama, and we'll probably get to that at some point in the conversation uh, about what happened last year. But on on another day, Scott McLaughlin could have easily got a, a points penalty (laughs) <laughs> and we, we all know, we all know that if you get a points penalty and you get, I don't think you can get a minimum of five. The maximum, the, the minimum is is at least 10. So if you get a 10 point penalty somewhere this weekend, 
Um, that, and that you point... DNF and win cup and Louds win the race. Correct. You, there's a new championship winner. Look, the, the chances of that are probably 0.01%, but I wouldn't entirely rule it out. Um, but yeah, given, given the context and given what Scott McLaughlin has done in, in his career and the points penalties that has accumulated, actually, I don't think he's accumulated one, uh, it's probably unlikely. So yeah, it, it certainly changes the, the, the game in terms of how teams approach it. I mean, if if Penske, if, if DJR Team Penske and Red Bull Holden Racing were were going for the the championship in terms of the drivers this uh, next week or when when the when the race is on, um, we would have seen a completely different ball game, particularly with McLaughlin and Slade and, and obviously with with um, Wing Cup and Lounge and how they would have attacked the race. But given that yeah, there's no championship implications out of it, then obviously yeah, everyone's going to be held to skelter for, for getting that. That, that win in their hands in the Peter Brock trophy. I will raise one point though. The team's championship, particularly between the top two, uh, Red Bull Holden Racing Team and, and DJR Team Penske, it's really close. And the, the result of Bathurst will define who gets the number one par, uh, pit park for, for next season. So if you have, if you have um, say, Coulthard leading the race and McLaughlin down in 10th, but in that situation, it puts... DJR Team Penske into the prime position to win the team's championship, well, then, yeah, team tactics will probably go out the window to give McLaughlin a perfect farewell if he is leaving supercars at the end this year, and they'll probably focus on Coulthard. So, yeah, we may see some dynamics when it comes to the team team's championship, and it's not just one and two either. Between three and, I think, seven, it is extremely close, uh, and Bathurst will define who gets uh, those pit bay entries for next year. And, you, you know as well as I do, uh, Lachlan, that pit, pit entries and where you are located in pit lane can be the difference between winning and losing, getting a podium and not getting a podium. So it's absolutely vital to get your, the, the highest pit position that you can for next year. So that's going to play some part as to how um, Bathurst is run and won. But in terms of overall and the teams and the drivers and whether the championship will have any impact on the on the Bathurst 1000, zilch. Um, everyone will go in there and will put as much emphasis as they can on winning the, the Peter Brock trophy, which it may in turn see some really cracking racing because we may see um, teams fight for positions as early as lap 20, just to, to make sure that they have the track advantage for later in the race or at, on lap 150, the position that may not have been, um, you may not have gone for a position on lap 150. If you're fighting for a championship, well, that may change this year because you don't need to worry about a championship. You just want to get your hands on the trophy. So we may see more dramatic moves, which will obviously lead to, to more race, to more dynamic racing, which is, is good for all of us, I guess. And coming back to the team's championship situation as well, the battle between the Red Bull Holden Racing Team and Shell V-Power Racing, both those teams need to have both of those cars scoring as many points as possible. So the whole strategic management, trying to avoid a car losing positions with potential double stacking, that's going to be on both teams' minds. I think that the situation that we saw last year where a team effectively sacrificed one car to help another one, that's unlikely to happen because you need to make sure that both cars are finishing as well as possible. So the way that the teams manage their strategies across both their cars to try and get them both finishing as well as they possibly can, I think that's going to be one of the storylines that will unfold over the course of the race. Well, just on that, because double, sp- double stacking is going to be the 
absolute um, the focus of Bathurst 1000 this year, particularly after last year and the debris, debris, debris with Fabian Coulthard. Debris. 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 Following the incident um, uh, that led to the safety car, which I think involved Alexander Rossi in that in that um, wildcard Walkinshaw um, Andretti United Racing uh, Team um, car, we are going to see that heavily scrutinised this year um, by by the stewards. I mean, uh, after last year and, and what happened, I, I don't think there's any excuses now. Um, you, I think, I think what we will, we will see is once the safety car is deployed. Um, drivers will have to maintain a minimum speed. If it hasn't been put in already, it probably will be soon enough anyway. But there'll be an emphasis on teams to be at a minimum speed regardless of where it is on the circuit. And and the whole situation of we don't know where the incident is, well, that's a fair fee. Everyone knows where cars are on the track at a certain rate of time. So I think all that conversation, I mean, we could talk about for the next three hours, which would probably, um, yeah, easily complement a, a podcast. But... I think the whole conversation on that will completely change and we will see drivers going to a minimum to make sure that they, they don't hold anyone else up. But we are going to see double stacking consistently this year and, and we're going to see it more so than ever before because now all teams are aligned with each other as well. Like in previous years, we had one-car teams with one-car team. So it was basically a luck of the draw whether you get held up by the other person or not or depending on strategy, you may not. But... We, we, we now have two car teams. So we may also see people go on different strategies to make sure that they split in terms of um, double stacking. So you, you might see an early pit stop for say, Matt Stone Racing and Stone Racing entry, which is the probably the two wild cards. They may run a little bit longer. So that way you split the, the strategies in two and you avoid that double stacking. But then there's others that will think that they're a genuine contender. They need to run long. And then they'll just take the double stacking when they need to. So it's going to be fascinating how that all plays out because for the first time in a very long time, every team in pit lane is is basically by themselves when it comes to their pit pit bunker. So it's going to be fascinating how that plays out. But yeah, double stacking will happen, but there will be a heavy emphasis this year, particularly by the stewards of drivers and how they approach uh, pit lane once the speed uh, once the safety car comes. We will we don't want to see what happened last year. Because that took away from what was a great Bathurst 1000. For, for all the people who complained about McLaughlin winning for different reasons, at the end of the day, it still provided a great race for the 1000. And we need to make sure that that is the talking point at the end of this year's 1000, not the fact that someone held up 15 other drivers and suddenly that was the talking point. So stewards will be very, very hard on, on that this year and making sure that that doesn't happen again, uh, not only for the integrity of the race, but I guess for the conversation after that usually happens on social media. The notion of having a minimum speed during a safety car is an interesting one because when a safety car comes out, it means there's an incident on the track. You actually want people to be slowing down. So a better way of managing it might actually be to have a maximum speed that everybody has to adhere to and can't exceed and you keep the field tightly bunched together that way. But anyway, that'll be a a discussion or, for the future years, no doubt. Or maybe you do both. You have a minimum speed and a maximum speed. So the minimum speed is 70 and the maximum speed is 110. And you can't balance between the both or something along those lines. But, yeah, we need to have a consistency. Or or while the safety car is out and before you're, um, before you're getting towards the safety car, it's under a virtual safety car where the 
the force of speed is 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 on you where you have to do a certain speed. But I think it's a food for thought anyway, um, particularly with Bathurst and where it is located. I know, I know we're digressing into this a lot, but we've seen incidents before where a yellow flag's come out and drivers have gone blind into a corner and made heavy contact with other cars that are stationary. So I think it's something that we need to look at probably in the future anyway, not just because of the the integrity of the situation, but also the safety aspects where, yeah, if there's drivers that are that are pushing the limits to get back on the lead lap or to do a pit stop quickly or those sort of things and they're not they're not aware of where the incident is and they do come in blind and make big heavy contact, well, they're gonna be heavily penalized for it, no question. But also you just don't want that to happen because then it ruins their race, it ruins everyone else's races, and then the safety car will be out for longer anyway. So remember I think- 2014 when Dale Wood slammed into the back of Jason Bright up the top of the mountain under safety car conditions because he didn't realise that that's where the train was. They're the sorts of incidents that you want to avoid. And I actually like what they do in Formula One where they have the delta time when the safety car is first deployed and the drivers must stay underneath that delta time or they get penalised. And there's no reason that we couldn't have a similar thing in supercars because we've got the technology with the micro sector timing loops in the circuit to be able to um, track the, the cars and the times that they're setting at various points around the circuit. So maybe that's something that we need to look at in the future. I think it's something we will be looking at in the future, but obviously, yeah, not for this year. So, yeah. While we're on the subject of safety cars, one of the interesting regulation changes for this year is a new rule that when the safety car comes out, cars that are a lap down are now going to get waves past the safety car. So that has a couple of different impacts. Number one, it means that if you're a lap down, you get your lap back, so you get to get back onto the lead lap. And number two, it also means that we're not going to have back markers interfering with the battle among the race leaders. Jonesy, your thoughts on the new safety car, lapped cars rule? I think we'll get to the first point. uh, So the last point that you mentioned in relation to the back markers, I think removing them from the spectacle of the race and then leaving the top drivers to to fight for for the win or the the momentum at that time, that's perfect. I mean, every year, I mean, mean, there's there's been multiple bathers over the last 15 to 20 years where the leader has been out the front, um, it's been 20 laps to go. Suddenly the second driver has a beautiful shot to potentially um, win the race and, and overtake uh, the leading driver. And then suddenly there's two back markers in front of them. And by the time they get past them, number one, or the, the leading car is driven away and then we don't see the spectacle that we, we want to see. So I think that that's a great way of doing it. In terms of the lap down, I know there's been a lot of conversation about this, about should we allow drivers that are lapped down to essentially get back in the game. I think, I think yes. I mean, I mean at the end of the day, um, particularly if, particularly when you go a lap down, you're probably going to go a lap down probably 30, 40, 50, 60 laps into the race. It's very hard to get a lap down in the first 20 laps unless you have a mechanical issue. And if you have a mechanical issue anyway and you go laps down, well, you're not going to win the race anyway. Your car's not going to be good enough to beat the, the guys at the front when it comes to the crunch anyway. But for the guys that lose laps through misdemeanors or for different things, absolutely, give them an opportunity to get to the back of the to the field and let them work their way to the front. I mean, if they can go... If you can be one lap down on lap 70 and you and you suddenly get the, the free gift and you're back at the pack and you come back and win in lap 161, 
well done. I mean, that's a, that's an incredible comeback to win the Bathurst 1000. And we've seen it before. I mean, Russell Ingle and um, Larry Perkins won Bathurst from virtually a lap down uh, in the early stages of the race. I mean, it's happened before. We, we've, we've seen it where, where drivers and, and machines have been put under the absolute pressure early on, almost gone a lap down or have gone a lap down uh, and then fought their way back. I think... Um, Lee Holdsworth and Michael Caruso almost went a lap down as well in, in one of their years and fought back to get third. Um, so it's happened before. Why not give an opportunity for those guys to do it again and seeing those things? And it might make a great Bathurst story for, for years to come. And if they do win, well, then they've won a merit because they've gone from last to first anyway. Mm. Um, so I think, I think it's a good idea. Um, but obviously you don't want the situation where, say, Someone seven laps down suddenly gets we got seven safety cars in between. They're suddenly on the lead lap, and then they come from nowhere to win because fourteen cars in front of them have gone off the track because it's wet or something ridiculous. We probably don't want that to happen, but I think the chances of that happening are pretty much slim to none. So yeah, bring it on. I, I don't think there's an issue with it, and, and nine times out of ten, um, the winner hasn't been a lap down when they won anyway. So I don't think that's going to change the integrity of the race any anyway. And if 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 one and two following a safety car can have a ding dong battle because there's no back markers in the way, perfect. Yep, I'm pretty much agreeing with everything that you said. And to add to that as well, the quality and the competitiveness of the field is so high these days that even if you do get back onto the lead lap, it's still going to be a massive uphill battle to climb your way back up through the field from being the last car on the lane lap. So if you have the speed and the skill to be able to do that, full credit to you. Now, weather. And <laughs> I know that you and I have both been looking at the long-range forecast pretty much every day and seeing the, the daily updates on whether or not we're going to get rain on Bathurst weekend, and it's changed over the last few days. At one stage, it the prediction was that we were going to get heaps of rain in practice and qualifying, and then we were going to get a dry race. But uh, having a look at the most recent forecast, again, we are recording this a bit over a week out from race day, but the current projections are that we could actually get some rain on race day. So it'll be interesting to see what role weather will play in this year's Bathurst 1000. The last time that we had rain for the Bathurst 1000 was in 2017, when David Reynolds and Luke Yulden took the win for Erebus Racing? Well, most years, we, we certainly have um, sessions that are impacted by weather. So I don't think 2020 is going to be any any different. And actually looking at the the, the rain with a long-term forecast for Bathurst coming up, um, and obviously this is a week away or, or roughly around a week away, but there is forecast of between one to five millimetres every single day, the Thursday, the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday. Where that's going to fall, don't know if it's going to fall. Don't know. I guess at the end of the day, uh, it's up to the weather gods to, to make that happen. But I think rain around this time of the year in Bathurst is always yeah there or thereabouts. So uh, how that impacts? Well, who knows? But I mean, if we look at last year and, and qualifying and everything else, the front guys still were able to get to the top and be successful in race uh, in wet in, in the wet, and then they'll still quick in the dry. I think that the difference here is if we have a Bathurst 1000 where it's wet, then dry, then wet, then dry, that doesn't sort of put it back in. It puts it into the driver's hands, of course, but it then comes back to the setup of the car. Can you have a car that's really good in the wet? And then can you have a car that's really good in the dry? 
uh, and then the interchanging conditions when it goes from wet to dry or dry to wet. That's going to be what makes the race if we do get weather. And um, it's up to the teams and the drivers to, to better handle it. And you'd expect that the front runners will be able to sort of negotiate that way. And that probably comes back to the other point as well with, with co-drivers and their, I guess, lack of preparation heading into the 1,000. We'll get to that in, in a second. And, and the guys that haven't raced at the mountain before or those that have raced at the mountain before, if we do get those interchanging conditions, the guys that have done Bathurst, multiple times will have more of an advantage than, than those guys who don't have a multiple uh, don't have an advantage but i also think that in relation to that it can provide an opportunity for a youngster who takes the the race by the scruff of the neck and is is happy in those conditions and drives away to those conditions i mean andre heimgartner a few years ago at the gold coast um the weather was shocking um that that race and he was able to to pretty much put the car i think it was with tim slade and the bjr team um team car for that that weekend because he was replacing um ash walsh who broke his leg before the before the um pertech enduro cup i think but during the pertech enduro cup but anyway I'm, I'm digressing he stormed to the front drove an absolutely amazing stint and that helped them get a podium later that day uh for the for the race but he was rewarded with a contract the next year with kelly racing so there's an opportunity particularly with a, with a co-driver, if we do get those interchanging conditions for them to take it by the scruff of the neck, impress, and, hey, we might see them on, on the grid in 2021 in a full-time capacity. And we saw a bit of that with Richie Stanaway as well when he was an endurance driver with the Tickford Racing Team. And in 2017, when we did have that wet race at Bathurst, he was one of the standout co-drivers in the wet weather conditions as well. So... It certainly is an opportunity, if you can be fast in the wet, to cement a solid reputation. All right, let's get into the specifics, the nitty-gritty of the driver combinations for this year's Bathurst 1000. So we're going to run through these in numerical order, because that's what I've put in the run sheet. And we'll talk about their stats on the mountain and give some predictions about where we expect they might finish up. So... We don't have car number one in the Bathurst 1000 this year, same as last year, because our defending champion, Scott McLaughlin, has elected to run at number 17 instead. So top of the list then, car number two, Morganshaw Racing, Bryce Forward and Kirk Kostecki. Bryce Forward, two starts, one finish, best result of 20th in 2018 with Todd Hazelwood. And Kirk Kostecki, believe it or not, making his Bathurst 1000 debut this year, um, I had to go back and double check that, but it's his brother Jake and his cousin Brody who've each had one start. Kurt yet to actually make a start in the great race. Bryce Forward, reigning Super 2 champion. He's shown glimpses of potential this season. He got a podium in one of the races at Taylor Bend and uh, a couple of other top 10 finishes as well. How do you rate this combination's chances, Jonesy? Well, I think it's going to depend on the, on the two drivers. I mean, we know that Walkinshaw, particularly at Bathurst, they always have a weird, well, not a weird, but a really good um, package when it comes to the car um, and, 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 and it going to the mountain. I mean, multiple over the last few years, uh, Scott Pye's got podiums there. James Courtney last year got a podium with Walkinshaw. So we know that Walkinshaw has what it takes to deliver success in terms of the car package for the weekend. So it's all going to be about how Bryce and Kurt, I guess, handled the mountain. Kurt in his debut and, and Bryce with his second start. I mean, Bryce last year raced with Todd, so he was the, the co-driver. This year, he's the full-time driver. So how he handles the pressure of that being on his own 
will remain to be, to be seen. I, I, I guess the, the thing from my end is they're probably not going to be one of those contenders that can absolutely win the race. There's probably 10 combinations at least in front of them that can definitely win the race. But on their day, they can absolutely finish inside the top 10 if they can keep their noses out of trouble and, and do the right things. And we've seen with Bryce this year, if he can get that car in the setup window that he likes, that car can be easily in, in the top 10 and more comfortably sometimes in the top five. And he's he's been on the podium already this year. And that was through merit, not because of tyre quality or tyre advantage. So um, he absolutely can do really well at the mountain. They just need to make sure that they keep their head um, their head clean and their nose is out of trouble for the weekend. Kurt's obviously raced in, in supercars before, but obviously hasn't done, a, done an opportunity at Bathurst. But... I guess the key for him is how much time has he had in multiple cars this year because of COVID, and he's going to have very little time in the car um, before Bathurst. So how he handles that pressure is going to be very interesting because, yeah, you don't want to be a co-driver that puts the car on the wall into, into into any corner during the first couple of practice sessions because not only does it give the teams a lot of work to do, but can also compromise your, your package for the weekend. So um, Kurt will want to be just careful, just give the, the car back clean to, to Bryce and, yeah, see how they go. But, yeah, top 10 would be a really great result for them. Um, anywhere high would be a, probably an absolute bonus. Kurt Kostekian, at least he's had some safe time at Bathurst this year competing in the 12-hour in the GWR Australian Nissan earlier in the year. And Bryce Ford, you'll remember last year, lost the race victory in the Super 2 race because he set the fastest lap of the race when there was a yellow flag. And while that was a pretty embarrassing mistake for him at the time, it will be a good learning experience for him, and I'm sure that he won't make that mistake again. So, um, yeah, I think top 10 is probably a realistic expectation for the number two car. We'll move on to car number three. First of the Brad Jones Racing Commodores, Macaulay Jones. Five starts, four finishes, best results, seventh in 2018 with Nick Perkett. He'll be joined in the cool drive racing Commodore by Tim Blanchard. Nine starts, seven finishes, best result of 10th in 2016 alongside Macaulay Jones. And Macca, well, how do we rate his season so far? It's been unspectacular, I think you would have to say. It has, but I think in the last couple of rounds, he's certainly improved his performances and he's been able to improve in qualifying, which is probably half the, the, the trick to, to being successful in, in, in um, supercars this, these days. So, yeah, Mac has certainly done really well in the last couple of rounds, but obviously we get to Bathurst and, and Bathurst is a different beast. And last year, he really struggled. There were a couple of incidents that he had that, yeah, they really shouldn't have had. Uh, in terms of um, yeah, rookie errors from from McCauley as the lead driver, so he want to eliminate them uh, heading into this um, this campaign. He's got a really handy co-driver in Tim Blanchard. I thought him and Nick Perkett last year were really unlucky. Um, they just didn't have the setup window to suit their car, and they lost the lap. And I think that was the end of their day. So and I think they had another issue with the car as well. So they really didn't have any luck. But Tim Tim's certainly a, a very solid co-driver and probably one of the best in the in the in the, in the grid. Uh, bar probably the top four or five that are that are ex um, champions, but um, he's certainly in that window of a very solid co-driver and will probably perform really well with with Maka. Again, where they finish, I probably think around the Bryce Forward Kirk Kostecki range, um, top ten would be a really good result for them. 
but more than likely they'll probably just be outside the top 10. I mean, they're going to probably need to rely on a few people in front of them to to make some mistakes for them to go a bit higher. Um, but, yeah, on their day, they could absolutely finish inside the top 10 and do something something good. But, yeah, probably more in the bottom bottom 15 cars. I was sort of thinking probably around the 11th to 14th zone for this car. Yeah. Um, as, a, as a likely prediction for where they would finish. Yeah, I, I'm just probably more thinking where they're going to wanting where they're going to be wanting to finish at the end of the day. Yeah, the realistic situation would probably happen between 11 and 20. But I think at the end of the day, if those two get to the mountain and and in a realistic point of view, you all want to win the 1,000. But I think in a realistic point of view, if you give those two a top 10 finish before the start of the weekend, they're probably going to snatch it with both hands and go, "Yep, we'll take that." So from one Brad Jones racing car, we move on to another Brad Jones racing car, car number four. Jack Smith, one start, no finishes for Jack Smith in the Bathurst 1000. Uh, it's the two Jacks teaming up in that car. Jack Perkins alongside him, 14 starts for Jack Perkins, 11 finishes and a best result of third last year alongside James Courtney. With this combination, I think this might be one of the ones where the notional co-driver is actually the one who sort of legs the way a bit because Jack Perkins has got a lot more experience at Bathurst than young Jack Smith. And uh, he'll actually be able to provide hopefully some of that experience and wisdom to Jack Smith to help the younger of the two Jacks improve in his second Bathurst campaign. 100%. Yeah, and that would be the fascinating thing out of the first few practice sessions heading into qualifying. Will Jack Smith get the opportunity to qualify the car, or will they trust the the guy with the more with the most experience out of the the combination with Jack Perkins? I mean, you feel for Jack in a little bit, and I'm not sort of taking taking uh, the the drive away from him in, in in this situation, but he had at the start of the year a drive with Will Davison and um and and at that time it was 23 Red Racing, which is now Boost Racing. We'll get to Boost Racing. A little bit later, but you you probably argue that they would ha- they would have had a better shot at winning the Bathurst 1000 this year than this combination. So uh, you feel for Jack uh, in terms of the the seat that he that he could have got compared to the seat that he has got. But I guess, I guess at the end of the day, it's the chance to compete at Bathurst. You never know what's going to happen. Anything can really happen. We get rain with ten laps to go. If that's the quickest car, that could end up winning the race. You just don't know with with, with what's going to happen. But the realistic point of view with all of this is that, yeah, Jack really hasn't finished inside the – well, I think he's finished inside the top 10, I think, once this year or maybe twice this year. Um, but that was based purely on the fact that other drivers around him were were having troubles with their tyres because of the the, the the racing that we had. And Jack was able to get two fresh set of Dunlops pretty much at his disposal. So um, in terms of outright pace – they really haven't been inside the top 10 all year and they've really struggled in the bottom 10. So you probably suggest that that's where they're going to probably um, stay uh, during this weekend. Top 10 again, like the other combinations, would be fantastic for them. I think they'd take that with both hands. But I think somewhere between 15 and 24 is probably where they're realistically looking at. There's been a lot of criticism of Jack Smith this year. Uh, like you say, his best result was 10th in one of the Sydney Motorsport Park races where that tyre situation played a part. One of the things, though, just looking at Jack Smith's results over the course of the season, is he hasn't had any DNFs. So at least he's been finishing all of the races. And when you keep finishing races, it means, number one, you're not damaging the car, but number two, you are also accumulating valuable track time. So 
if they can go to Bathurst with that sort of mentality where they just place an emphasis on finishing the race at all costs, then there's no reason they can't create the chequered flag. In terms of where they will finish, though, um, I do tend to agree with you. It's probably high teens, somewhere between 6th and 20th, um, depending on how many cars actually finish the race, of course. So uh, I think that's probably the the form guide for that car. And, and just quickly, Jack, we've got to remember, too, that he is one of the youngest in the, in the grid. He's 21. So, I mean, you look at a career of a, of a normal driver and it's, yeah, you don't hit your peak into your late 20s, early 30s. So, I mean, we've got to sometimes look at the age of these drivers and I know a lot of people expect them because they're in supercars to suddenly go straight to the top. But we all know that unless you're highly gifted, um, and I'm not saying that Jack isn't highly gifted, but there's some that just take on the supercars situation far better than others. But it takes time to, to find your feet and put yourself in, in the situation. But you're right. He hasn't had a DNF this year. He's put his best foot forward. He hasn't been a, an interruption to other drivers. He's just done done his work the way he's gone and, and done some decent results. So all he needs to do is the same thing at the mountain, just make sure he keeps his nose out of trouble, just full speed ahead, get the result that they're after. And, yeah, hopefully we can see him back in, back here next year if the, if the circumstances work out for him. Move on to the first of our Fords, car number five, Tickford Racing. Lee Holdsworth, 16 starts, nine finishes, best result in third in 2009 with Michael Caruso. And he is going to be joined for the first time since 2009 by Michael Caruso. 14 starts, 11 finishes, and a best result of third in 2009 with Lee Holdsworth. It's a bit of a romantic reunion for these two, and it'll be interesting to see if they can replicate that form that took them to the podium with Gary Rogers Motorsport 11 years ago. Well, they're the only combination that, um, yeah, have had their best result, well, apart from Wing Cup and Lowndes, of course, but they've had their best result in terms of together um, and and third, which was their best result in 2009. And that was the year I was talking about before where they were almost a lap down and then, um, yeah, stormed home to to finish third. I mean, this combination absolutely has what it takes to to win the Bathurst 1000 and, and, yeah, and claim the Peter Brock trophy. Will they? It's hard to say because you've got you got so many other good combinations that you probably put in front of them. There's probably five or six that are in front of them. But, I mean, they're one of the combinations that you look at and you go, yep, on their day, if everything goes to plan and everything sorts itself out right, then absolutely they can go um, – they can definitely go um, towards the top. I mean, they've got the car. The Tickford car is, is one of the one of the best in the, in the, in the grid. And we, we saw it at Taylor and Bend on the last race through – Cameron Waters, but it won the last race before we headed to the mountain. Uh, Lee Holdsworth is a very solid steerer. Michael Caruso is one of the best co-drivers that we have. And he's probably unlucky not to be in the main game still. So they, they've got everything that they need to win the Bathurst 1000. It's just going to be all about execution on the day. So I think at a minimum, they're looking at top five uh, and then obviously looking higher than that. They, they For me, they're a top five combination, but they would need to, they, they would be looking higher. They'd be looking at top three or obviously a win as well. For me, it all depends on what sort of package they roll out of the truck with. If they roll out of the truck with a car that's on the money straight away, then 100% they're a podium contender. However, if they roll out of the truck with a car that's not quite there, themselves chasing the track and playing catch-up with cars set up over the weekend, then it's probably a little bit tougher. And like you say, there are some other combinations which we'll get to as we run through 
the list that you'd probably rate slightly higher than them, including the car immediately after them on the list. Car number six, their teammates, another one of the Tickford Racing Mustangs, Cameron Waters, seven starts, six finishes, best results of fourth in 2016 with Jack LeBrock, and he's going to be joined by a driver who's very unlucky not to still be on the grid full-time. Will Davison, 16 starts, 13 finishes, two race victories, 2009 with Garth Tander and 2016 with Jonathan Webb. Cameron Waters in really good form at the moment. He's been a consistent fixture in the top five. He's moved up into the top three in the championship standings. He picked up his first solo race victory in the last race at the bend. And uh, right now you would have to say that Hey, and Will Davidson are among the very front-running contenders for victory in this year's Bathurst 1000. If you're looking for value when it comes to potential betting on different different um, markets, so to speak, with um, with drivers and combinations, this is probably the one that you you sort of put a couple of dollars on because this combination at the moment is not being valued. But for me, they are probably either the favourite or second favourite for, for the Bathurst 1000. The, 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 we'll get to the ones that are that are absolutely the the ones that are the favourites in terms of your McLaughlins and your Van Giersbergens and Wincups. But I think there's going to be three critical things when it comes to, to Bathurst this year. One is the pace of your, your car. Tickford and this combination ticks that box. A really strong main game driver who's in great form. Cameron Waters ticks that box right now. He won the last race in Talon Ben. And he's third in the championship. He's been consistent enough and really hasn't put a foot wrong all, the, all year. He's, he's finally getting that situation where um, he's qualifying, he's getting towards where McLaughlin and those guys are, and then he's executing it in the race. So he's starting to get into the form that's putting him in that top bracket, and his results are showing that. And the third one is your co-driver. You need a co-driver who has experience in these cars, can get into the car very, very quickly, and find speed at the mountain and can do the job for for three or four hours. Will Davison ticks all those boxes. Will Davison is the only one out of these drivers that has raced multiple rounds of the series this year. Um, he's been in the car for the longest compared to the other drivers uh, in terms of um, co-drivers uh, this year. Obviously, a few of them have had test days that might put him in front, but in terms of actual race pace and being in races, Will Davison better is in a better situation than all of them and he was in a car that was running pretty much top five in the championship so Cameron Waters has absolutely gifted the ultimate co-driver here so for me this is probably my favorite this is probably the favorite for for, for the Bathurst 1000 right now um given you you've, you're ticking all the boxes my only Achilles heel for them is qualifying because Cameron's never got a pole position before um I think they might have got one in sand down um a couple of years ago but that was not on pace, that was because of their racing, because of the way that that was formulated. But Cameron Waters has never got a pole position on outright pace. But we all know at Bathurst, you don't necessarily need to be on pole position to win the race. Other drivers have done it from seventh, from fifth, from fourth, from wherever. So as long as this combination is in the top five, as long as everything goes to plan in terms of the car, they are right there. And to me, they're probably one of the standouts and probably the favourite right now. In terms of co-driver form as well, Will Davison, you would have to say, one of the tests, I think, is if you take the co-driver and you look at where they would stack up among the full-time main game drivers, 
Will Davison right now, you put him into a main game race, and he'd straight away be top six or seven among all of the series regulars, probably higher, no problem at all. So, you know, he's every bit as good as the other gun co-drivers, the likes of Louds and Tad, and possibly even a bit better because he's had some more recent seat time than them. So if it comes down to a battle with the co-drivers, then Will Davison is, is going to be very, very well placed, no doubt about that. So 100% agree, this is absolutely one of the main contenders. Moving on to car number seven, first of the Kelly Racing Mustangs. Kelly Racing making the transition from the Nissan Altima to the Ford Mustang for the 2020 season. And in this car, we've got Andre Heimgartner. Six starts, three finishes, best result of ninth in 2017 with Tim Slade. And uh, in the interests of full disclosure and uh, ethical standards on this podcast, his co-driver Dylan O'Keefe is a checkered client and is going to be making his Bathurst 1000 debut. In terms of form for Andre Heimgartner and the Kelly Racing Mustangs, it's been patchy, I think you would say, in 2020. They've shown some glimpses of really good pace, particularly in the first of the Taylor Bend rounds. Um, apart from that, there's been some rounds where they've been either just inside or just outside the top 10. And then there's been some other rounds where they've been a bit further down the order. So for me, it all depends on what sort of package they rock up with at Bathurst as to how they will perform on race weekend. I was going to say, I'll just let you comment on this one because it's, uh, yeah, your uh, your client in relation to Dylan. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you first. Where do you honestly think that this combination can um, finish in the, in the Bathurst 1000? From a realistic point of view and with your um, with your checkered flag media um, glasses on. <laughs> oh, well, with my checkered flag media glasses on, I think um, Dylan O'Keefe will be the first rookie to win the race since Nick Perkett in 2011. Um I think taking a bit more of an unbiased look at things, though, um, I think top 10 would probably be a, a good outcome for this team and, and probably what they're aiming for. And, yeah, I see them probably in around that zone from, say, 8th to 12th is probably where they are on, on current form, you would have to say. I think it's exactly the same as last year for Andre. Now, Andre had uh, Bryce... Uh, did he have Bryce Ford as his co-driver last year? He had Bryce Ford as his co-driver last year because um, Bryce was with um, the Nissan Ultimate team in the Dunlop Super 2 Series, which translated into a Kelly Racing deal. But anyway, that combination was right in the hunt until uh, I think they DNF'd late in the in the race. But they were in the conversation with 30 laps to go before debris, 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 or Debris, Debris, Debris. You're right. Um, it was Bryce Ford, yes. So... In relation to that, uh, I think this combination is exactly the same. I think I think Dylan's talented enough on his own merit to to stand out and do his job do his job over the over the situation uh, that he's required to do through the, the co-driver practice sessions and then the race itself. And then Andre uh, can do what he did last year and hopefully put the car into a into a solid position to finish. Well, I think top ten is a fair result for these guys. Um, top five would probably be where they're aiming if they can get everything sorted out. I think the two key issues, and you mentioned one of them, is the, is the car itself, the package. Sometimes the package has been great, and then that's led Andre to, to get some really good performances. But then the package in some weekends has been absolutely terrible, and we've not seen the best of Andre or Rick Kelly for that matter, and we'll get to him later. So that's going to be one factor. The other factor is they are um, ch changing the engines a little bit or they're, they're upgrading their 
into the Bathurst 1000. That's always fraught with danger heading into a, a race like that. You want to hope that that's all right and solid because if you have mechanical gremlins or engine problems up there, uh, that will easily end your race. So that they're the two factors for me. I think if you can get the car package sorted out and the engine upgrade issues all good, definitely a top five potential, well, top 10 at the minimum, top five if you can get everything right. Um, but if those two issues rear their head, then, yeah, this, these guys may actually not finish. I think just on Dylan O'Keefe as well, I think the strength for him, yes, it might be his first Bathurst 1000, but he has raced a lot of different cars at Bathurst. He's driven at the 12-hour in everything from a, a Porsche Cup car to an Audi R8 GC3 car to a Mark car. And this year he's had some recent seat time as well, um, racing in the World TCR Championship over in Belgium. So I think that, yes, Dylan is a rookie, but uh, I think he should adapt to the Mustang fairly quickly. Car number eight, sorry. I was just going to say, we should add as well that he's had to do two weeks of quarantine and, and yeah, do a ridiculous amount of travelling to make sure he's he's getting to the 1,000 safe and sound and, and adhering to all the COVID-19 regulations. And he's not alone. There's probably countless other co-drivers and other drivers that are having to do two weeks of quarantine. So, again, uh, thank you to all those guys that are doing that because there's probably some boring days in the hotel uh, that they're probably thinking, why are we actually doing this? But the sacrifice will be certainly worth it in the end when they get to the mountain on the, th- on the first on that Thursday and start practicing. So credit to all of them. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to hopefully everyone being at Bathurst ne- uh, when, when the race is on. So for Dylan O'Keefe, who I would very much like to be the first rookie to win Bathurst since 2011, we move on to the last rookie to win Bathurst. And that's Nick Perkett, who's in the number eight Brad Jones Racing Commodore. Nine starts for Nick, eight finishes. The best result that win on debut with Garth Tander in 2011. His co-driver, Thomas Randall, one start, one finish. And the result was ninth, and that was last year with Lee Holdsworth. Nick Perkett, a driver who always shows very good form at Bathurst. And the encouraging thing for me for this combination, Jonesy, is the fact that Nick and the BJR team have shown pretty good form throughout season 2020. 100%. And whenever whenever the car has, well, whenever Nick Perka has ended up being on the lead lap at the end of the race, here are his results. First, fourth, third, third, and seventh. So if he's on the, if he's on the lead lap at the end of the race, he's in the top seven at least, or in, in more terms, he's winning the race or he's finishing on the podium. So his transition to achieving results and getting results at the mountain is probably second to none. It's probably one of the best in terms of the field. So um, you'd expect that if they can have a solid car, that Nick will put that car right where it needs to be. And he's been probably one of the standout drivers this year uh, in terms of what the package that's been given to him compared to the others. He's probably been the, the lead driver um, out of the out of the big three, um, Tickford, um, DJRT Penske and uh, Red Bull Racing Holden. He's probably been to stand out maybe alongside Chaz Moster. Um, and he's got a very handy co-driver, Thomas Randall. I mean, Thomas Randall was probably one of the star rookie co- well, was the star rookie co-driver uh, last year. He helped Slee Holdsworth get a podium at Sandown and finished ninth at Bathurst as well with him. So um, a talented steerer who probably should be in supercars next year on a full-time basis, but whether there's a seat for him will remain to be seen. He's leading the Super 2, the Dunlop Super 2 series as well, and you'd fully expect him, as long as he doesn't have any issues, that up as well. So 
Um, yeah, a very, very strong combination. And I actually think this is a dark horse. If you if you want to have a dark horse combination for the 1000, this is probably it. The only, the only worry that I have is with Brad Jones Racing. They've never won Bathurst with Brad Jones and they've never run it as a team. And that, that always sort of puts a question mark to me because the Bathurst, Bathurst 1000, Man Panorama loves um, bringing heartbreak to those drivers that just can't get that that win over the line. I'd love nothing more than to see Percat and Randall win Bathurst for, for Brad Jones because Brad Jones is certainly one of those um, drivers slash team owners that absolutely deserves the Bathurst 1000. Um, so, yeah. In relation to that, you hope that they win. They've got they've got the talent there to do really well. Um, they've got they've got everything in line to win Bathurst. Just whether they can do it on the day is is the big question. But these guys should be looking at top five at a minimum, absolute minimum. That 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 should be the the situation for these guys because, yeah, everything everything for them, um, yeah, it is pretty strong. Car number nine, Erebus Motorsport. David Reynolds, 12 starts, nine finishes, best result win in 2017 with Luke Yulden. And he'll be joined by Will Brown, two starts, one finish, and that finish was 24th in 2018 with Anton De Pasquale. And it's been a pretty rough couple of months for David Reynolds. He's fallen outside the top 10 in the championship. Not only that, Jonesy, but when you go through Davey's results for the season, he hasn't had a single podium in 2020. How much of that do you think has been down to the fact that his regular engineer, Alistair McVeigh, has not been in attendance at a lot of the rounds this year? I'm not sure. Um, well, when he was there, well, he, was, he wasn't technically there in Townsville, but he was there on the sidelines in Townsville. David's results lit up and I think he was either on pole for one of the races or very close to pole uh, in one of the races. So his form lifted, but then after that, it went back downhill. So I don't, I, I'm assuming if, 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 if they can't figure it out and if I could figure it out for him, then they'd probably give me a, a deal at Erebus. But where David's form this year has gone, I have absolutely no idea. I mean, if we, if we are talking about this combination from, in terms of we take out David's results this year and we look at this combination, this combination, I should say, based on the last three years, 17, you'd say, yep, um, Erebus has had the car that's won Bathurst. It's had the package to win Bathurst. Reynolds knows what to do at, the, at Bathurst. And Will Brown's a very quick co-driver that you just need to control his um, his driving in terms of not making any erratic mistakes. You do all that, they're absolutely a contender to do really well this year. But then you bring in the form of what he's done this year and you sit there going, if that continues at Bathurst, these guys have got they, they've got no chance of getting um, a win this year. There, there's just none. Um, if that form is, is continued into Bathurst, they are going to be outside the top 10. They're not going to have the form to do what they need to do. So it, it, it raises a lot of questions. If, if David and the team can find that mystery, not mystery, but if they can find that really good form that they've had the last three years, they're absolutely in the hunt. But if they can't, then I can see a weekend of struggle for these guys. And the other factor as well is it, you, we mentioned before the Victorian teams just want to go home and everything else in between. Well, those kind of things are compounded if you have terrible seasons. So if we get to Thursday practice and David is 
well down on the timesheets and Will Brown doesn't do much better with the co-drivers, that can have a roll-on effect for the rest of the weekend. And then you suddenly get to the Sunday race. And if your heart's not there 100%, the mountain will bite you comfortably. So I have a lot of question marks with this combination. If it gets what it needs, absolutely it can be the top. Well, top ten at a minimum. Top top seven would be where you where you would like this combination to be. But then, when you bring in all those other factors, you just don't know whether that form is going to translate into that result. And I and I have really big concerns that yeah, these guys are not going to be able to find the form that they need to really win Bathurst this year. Well, take your point about Will Brown as well, because he is a very fast and talented driver. And very versatile as well. We'd say that he's had lots of good results in lots of different types of cars. He was the inaugural TCR champion here in Australia last year. But you are right when you say that he does have to be managed a bit and he has to be reminded that his job is to be the co-driver and not to try and be too much of a superstar during his stints. His job is just to bring the car back home in one piece so that David Reynolds can do the heavy lifting, and uh, I think they do get Alistair McBain back this weekend. He will be at Bathurst, so I think that's a positive, but it's absolutely critical, like you said, from a psychological point of view, for David in particular, they need to roll out of the truck with the car that's on the pace from opening practice on Thursday. 100%, and if they don't, then they're, they're on the downhill. And the other thing as well is look at the results of Will Brown. He finished 24th in 2018 with Anton, and they ran into problems that day. And then, unfortunately, Anton had that incident uh, last to completely uh, finish the cast. So, um, yeah, a lot of co- a lot of questions with, with relation to this combination. But if they get it right, they can absolutely be up there. But there's just not enough confidence from my end to think that they're going to get that done. So from then, we move on to number 12, the first of the DJR Team Penske Mustangs. Fabian Coulthard, 16 starts and 11 finishes. Tony Dalberto, 15 starts and nine finishes. And the best result for both drivers, 2017, when they finished third together. The subject of a lot of controversy last year, this particular car. Uh, This year, we don't expect that same sort of controversy to play as much of a role because, as we mentioned previously, it's important for this combination to finish as high up as possible because of the team's championship situation. Uh, if you want to rechange the the team to another name, it's probably Redemption. Uh, that's going to be the focus of this weekend for these guys. Uh, just the fact that, yeah, obviously they had their motives and they had their intentions for what they did last year, and you can't question that. If if the, if you can get away with doing it, I mean, the, this combination didn't, and neither did DJR Tempinski. But at the end of the day, they got the one thousand and they got the team's championship and the Drivers' Championship to where they – well, I don't think they won the Team's Championship. They got the Drivers' Championship to where they want. So in all of that, they got what they wanted. But, yeah, you can't do that this year given the Team's Championship and the situation around that. You need both combinations to finish as high as they can. And I would argue that Coulthard and Dalberto are probably not going to do that this year anyway. They're going to be wanting to get their own wins and, and everything else in between. The other factor as well is uh, we don't know what's happening with – um, DJR Team Penske at the end of this year. We are meant to get an announcement before or after Bathurst, depending on which media outlet you're, you're reading right now. So the future of DJR Team Penske, the future of Fabian Coulthard, and obviously 
on the subset of that, Tony Alberto as well. It's all up in the air. This literally could be their last opportunity to win the 1,000 with the team that they're currently in. So you've got that added factor as well. So I, I absolutely think it's redemption for these guys. These guys will do absolutely everything to make sure that this week, that, that weekend is that coming up is is their weekend. So um, again, they've got the combination to to do it. They finished third with each other in 17. Um, so they've got they've got the pace on the board, but the, the worry that I have is that when it comes to outright pace and actually being number one, they just don't. This is for for Coulthard and, and Alberto. They just don't seem to have it over their teammates, and then they don't have it over the two Red Bull Holden Racing guys either. You, they sort of need a couple of them to fall away or the dominoes to go their way for it to happen. So to have them as an outright contender, they're there, of course, but you just you just have that question mark whether they can actually beat everyone on their merit on their day. Um, and that's the question that I have in terms of an outright. But this combination at a minimum should be aiming for a top three and well, top five definitely should be on their radar. The, the worrying thing for me is... Like you say, they don't have the outright pace of car number 17. And with the pit stop situation of double stacking, you know, if you get a safety car early in the race and you have to double stack and you lose track position and then that buries you down the order and then you sort of, you end up playing catch up for the rest of the day and, and the bounce of the ball just isn't quite with you. That's sort of my main concern for this car. You would hope, based on the, the overall performance of the car and the capabilities of the drivers, that they would be in the top five. But like you say, I'm not sure that they quite have that extra 1% or 2% that they need to be contenders for outright victory. 100%. Car number 14, Brad Jones Racing, Todd Hazelwood. Three starts, two finishes, and a best result of 12th in 2017 with Tim Blanchard. And his co-driver, Jordan Boyds, who makes his debut not just in the Bathurst 1000, but in the Supercars Championship. Talented young driver from Albury. Great to see him getting the call up to make his Bathurst 1000 debut with Brad Jones Racing. As a yes. proud South Australian Jonesy, I know that you're a big fan of Todd Hazelwood. So how do you rate his chances? Um, it's, 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 in, it's probably like the same situation as the David Reynolds one. On his day, his form's good enough to be... Um, top 10, top five. I mean, he took a pole position uh, at Townsville as well. So um, on his day, he can absolutely do what he needs to do. But And he's rightfully admitted to this as well, that his consistency has been nowhere this year. One week he'll be really great, and then the next weekend he'll be completely off the charts and completely a mile away from anyone. So which car slash Todd Hazelwood we're going to get in the mountain? Well, that that's going to be the question as to how competitive this team is. The other factor as well is with COVID and everything else in between, uh, Todd isn't entirely guaranteed of being at Brad, Brad Jones Racing either next year. So um, he's confident of being there, but I guess nothing's been on the table uh, so far. So the whole situation with that becomes interesting at the 1000. A great result easily put you in the eyes of uh, getting a renewal. But if you don't have a great result, then it also puts, uh, yeah, diff different thoughts into different people's heads and that can have impacts on whether you can get a new deal. So uh, there's going to be that playing out. But absolutely, on their day, this combination is good enough to be inside the top 10 and everything else. But again, there's a couple of different factors that probably would suggest to me that they're probably just going to be outside of that top 10 Um 
Todd hasn't finished inside the top 10 of the 1,000 himself. Uh, he's been there or thereabouts, uh, 12th with Tim Blanchard, and I think last year he was he was certainly strong. But I think the package that he had last year is not going to be as strong as what he has this year. And then there's the factor of Jordan of Jordan Boys. This is his debut at uh, Mount Panorama and debut in supercars. There's going to be an abundance of nerves from that guy uh, heading into the race, which you'd expect. You're racing in the, the, the pinnacle race of Australia of Australian motorsport. So absolutely, if you're not feeling nerves, then you probably shouldn't be where you are about. You shouldn't be there, basically. Um, so how he handles the weekend is going to be fascinating. Um, he's not the only one that's racing there for the first time, racing for the first time in supercars. Um, but, yeah, he'll just want to make sure he does the job properly. I mean, he's had solid results in Dunlop Super 2, so he's not... He's not certainly a, a steerer that isn't worthy of a, of a shot. He definitely has earned his shot there. So, yeah, I, I guess the key for me is there's just too many factors that would put them into that, – that, there's too many factors of doubt that would put them as a contender contender inside the top 10. But, hey, if Todd, if Todd has a decent car with 30 to go and they're right, right there or thereabouts, well, he can absolutely do the job. Um, there's no doubt about that. So it's just going to be about – putting themselves in that in that window right at the end and making sure that they keep out of trouble for the weekend. For me, I think it's probably a bit of how well they handle the pressure because there's going to be a bit of pressure on both drivers, on Todd Hazelwood because his future's a little bit up in the air at the moment and also for Jordan being his first Bathurst and his first drive in any sort of main game supercars race, he's going to be feeling the pressure as well. So... It's about how the drivers handle that pressure. And I, I tend to agree. I probably see them finishing somewhere between 12th and 15th, realistically. And that would be my prediction for the finishing result for car number 14. Car number 15 is filled by two very experienced drivers. Rick Kelly, 19 starts, 17 finishes, two wins, 2003 and 04 with Greg Murphy. You'll be joined by Dale Wood, 12 starts, 10 finishes, and a best result of fourth in 2017 with Chris Pither. And I think, Shane, that a lot of the comments that we made about the other Kelly Racing entry of Andre Heimgartner and Dylan O'Keefe probably apply equally to this car in terms of the form of the Kelly Racing Mustangs being a little bit hit and miss throughout season 2020, so a lot of it depends on what sort of car they rock up with at the mountain. 100%. And I, and I think this combination is on par with Heimgartner and um, Dylan O'Keefe, because I think for what Heimgartner has an advantage over Kelly in terms of their race pace this year and everything else, I think it's counterbalanced comfortably by what Dale Wood could provide with his experience over the inexperience of Dylan O'Keefe. Don't get me wrong, Dylan O'Keefe will be uh, great in his own um, way in, in different years to come. But to have 12 starts at Bathurst and to finish 10 of them um, puts you a long way ahead sometimes in relation to just the experience factor. So this combination to me is on par with the Heimgartner and O'Keefe one. If, if they can if they can have the, the, the package right and the engine um, upgrades in the right way as well, these, these guys can absolutely finish inside the, the top 10. I think the, 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 the factor that, well, the thing that really sort of um, um, I looked at was the fact that, yeah, between both of them, out of 31 starts, they've only failed to finish four times. So pretty much they finished 27 out of 31 races, which is an incredible statistic. And I think last year, if I'm just looking at the results from last year, they finished comfortably inside the top 10 in eighth. So um, pretty much 
um, they're there or thereabouts. And they've done the job before. So I would say these, this, this combination is definitely capable of another top 10 finish and, and everything else in between if they can get that package and engine right. If it's dry, I'd say either just inside or just outside the top 10. If it's wet, I'd probably put them a bit higher than that because Rick Kelly is an absolute gun in wet weather conditions. So that would be my prediction for that car. In car number 17, we have our reigning Bathurst 1000 winner, Scott McLaughlin. Eight starts, seven finishes, and his best result first last year with Alex Premer. New co-driver for Scotty this year, Tim Slade. 11 starts, nine finishes, and a best result of seventh, which he's achieved on three occasions. 2009 with Paul Morris, 2012 with Andrew Thompson, and most recently 2016 with Ashley Walsh. Uh, big weekend for this car, but a lot of the pressure comes off, obviously, with McLaughlin having secured the championship. Absolutely. Um, and, and that was McLaughlin's goal for the last two rounds at Tail and Bend. Get as many points as we can and make sure that um, at the end of the day we have that buffer to, to give Bathurst a real crack. He's got it. And as I mentioned before in the podcast, if he does get a points penalty, then that can change things. But the likelihood of him getting that and the likelihood of him having one of them in his career so far has been slim to none. So you'd think that he'd be comfortably able to keep his um, head out of trouble this week, uh, that weekend coming up and then, um, yeah, from, from his end, uh, seal the title. I, I just want to just quickly before talking about the combination, give a bit of a shout-out to Alex Premer because if COVID-19 hadn't been uh, prevalent in our community and everything else in between, he actually would have been at the mountain this year. Uh, to defend his title. He wouldn't have been in this combination. He would have been driving with Cameron. No, he would have been driving. Yeah, I think Cameron Waters was was the, well, he was with Tickford anyway. So he would have been driving with either Cameron Waters, um, Jack LeBrock or um, um, the other driver, Lee Holdsworth. So um, just want to give a shout out to him because he is a defending champion as well. But unfortunately, because of circumstances out of his control, he can't actually compete this year. In relation to the, to the, the combination itself, well, there's not really much more to be said. I mean, it's been the powerhouse combination, uh, the, the team that is, uh, and McLaughlin have been the powerhouse team for the last three years. Um, pretty much if it's not winning races, it's finishing second or third. And and it's I think it's landed like 60 or 70% of podiums in that time. So, I mean, to not have these guys as favourites is probably, yeah, it's probably a bit stupid to be really honest. <laughs> They're absolutely a favourite. Um, and to say otherwise is, um, yeah, just ridiculous. Um, they've got the car. They've got the combination. I guess only criticism and only sort of factor that may contribute to them is probably Tim Slade. And just the fact of how much how much time he's actually going to get in that Mustang. Now, the, the example that I'm going to use here is if you look at James Corney. Now, James Corney started the season in a Holden with Team Sydney then transitioned to the Mustang and it took him two rounds to get used to the Mustang and its differences compared to what the Holden provided. Because while for most parts, the package is identical, there are little differences between both cars. So I'm worried about how Tim Slade is going to transition from his Holden last year with BJR to the Ford Mustang this year. And then the fact of the limited time that he's had in the car, how that equates this year remains to be seen. Tim Slate's quick enough to do a job good enough for, for Scotty to win back-to-back Bathurst 1000s. I have no doubt about that. But again, Slade, if you look at, if you if you want to judge the combinations in terms of the co-drivers, 
Slade's probably fourth or fifth on the list of the best co-drivers in this field. So how does that impact the race? That remains to be seen. But if if that requires McLaughlin to do more work at the last 30 laps because Tim Slade's not been able to hold his position over the other guys and push McLaughlin to fourth or fifth, well, that's going to have some implications as to whether McLaughlin can win Bathurst. So that's going to be the, the factor of the day. If they can put Slade into positions that helps the team, and he can just do his job, then they'll be absolutely right there or thereabouts. But, um, yeah, I, I just had that little worry with Tim, but it's a very little worry. These guys are absolutely the favourites. Um, and I think the bookies have had them as the favourites for the for the race. So um, no surprise that they're there or thereabouts. I don't have them as my favourite to win. I've already explained who my favourite is, but they are certainly there or thereabouts in top three at a minimum, but they're out to win. That's the simple line of that one. Yeah, and to be honest, I think Tim will relish the chance of being in, in such a, an awesome front-running car alongside a driver who's now three-time champion with no pressure to think about the championship but just go up there, do his job, and potentially come away as the Bathurst winner at the end of the weekend. So every time I obviously talk to Tim um, on and off, and the conversations that I've had with Tim are that... Um, He's in an extremely good headspace. Um, as we record this podcast, his partner is just about due to give birth. It could be that by the time you listen to this podcast, Danny has actually given birth to their first child. And it just all round, it seems to be a very happy time in the Slade household at the moment. So I think you'll head to Mount Panorama in a good headspace. And I think that this will definitely be one of the outright race contending combinations, no doubt about that. Well, congratulations to him on, on that and his partner as well. And just the other thing as well, this this deal was announced in like November, December. It was really, really early. So Tim made a beeline for this deal rather than looking for a potential full-time drive. So you know how important this is to him and in terms of what he wants out of this. He feels that this is his best chance at winning the Bathurst 1000 or multiple races. So he's bypass his full-time career to go and attack these mountains. So, yeah, you know he will deliver what he needs to do to try and get that. Um, just the factor of him not having enough experience in the car just worries me a little bit. On to car number 18, which appropriately is the first of the team 18 entries. Mark Wiesbottom, 17 starts, 11 finishes, and one win in 2013 with Stephen Richards. His co-driver, James Golding, has four starts, three finishes, and a best result of eighth in 2018 with Richard Musket. Last year, if you cast your mind back, Shane, in the Gary Rogers Motorsport Commodore, James Golding, for a while there, looks like he was going to pull off a massive upset and win the thing, and had it not been for a flat tyre, that could well have happened, but didn't quite play out for him at the end of the day. Interesting to have a look at Mark Winterbottom's form over the course of the season. He is currently ninth in the championship and he has had some very, very good consistent results. But I just feel like his results have been on a little bit of a downward trajectory lately, whereas his teammate Scott Pye has actually been on a bit of an upward trajectory. But either way, Team 18, you would have to say, has made a step forward compared to last year, particularly in terms of race pace. Their qualifying form hasn't been that Outstanding, but in terms of race pace, um, they've been pretty strong. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how this particular car goes. 
Well, I think for both, and we'll get to Scott Scott Pye and his combination in just a second because they're not too But I think for Team 18, a top 10 is a minimum at the moment. I mean, the, 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 form, the race form of those two guys has been outstanding. And if you look at – I haven't got the exact details, but if you look at the conversion of qualifying to race results, in terms of the positions gained – I would argue that Mark Winterbottom and Scott Pye are probably either one and two or one, two or one or three or along those lines. I think there's probably a couple of others at the bottom, maybe like a, a Jack Smith that may have gained a few more spots because of his qualifying position and he's been able to accumulate more. But those guys know how to race. And I mentioned before that qualifying, while important at Bathurst, it's not entirely the be-all and end-all. We've seen drivers win, or we've seen drivers win from the back of the grid, to come to first and we've seen drivers win from outside the top 10 before so there's no real worries if you don't qualify outside the top 10 and that's been the achilles heel of team 18 this year they've had the race pace but then they've been um, put right at the back and then they've had to use all that race pace to try and get to the front well you've got 161 laps to get back to the front so there's no doubt that these guys are going to be good in terms of races i just worry with mark winterbottom and james golding James Golding was was excellent last year. He was probably the standout driver of the day, um, I would argue, because the way he was able to put that car into contention was outstanding, and he drove probably the best I've seen in his career so far. So if he matches that, Mark's got a very handy co-driver at his disposal this year. My big worry is with 30 laps to go, Mark Wintermorton in the hunt, everything else in between, if it was seven years ago, I'd probably go, yep, Mark Winterbottom was absolutely in contention to win this race, but I just don't know if he's competitive against the big guys when the crunch comes to the crunch, and that's the worry that I have. I just haven't seen that enough this year to go, okay, well, if he's battling McLaughlin for a position or if he's battling Van Gisbergen for a position, he can do it. He just seems to get held up or not be able to do it. He's got pace. There's no questioning that he's talented. He's got the pace. But just that extra 1%, 2% that he had seven years ago, I just don't think he has now. And that really hinders me from thinking they're a Bathurst 1000 winner. But they can absolutely do um, different things on the day. They can easily finish, they'll, they'll easily finish in the side of the top 10. I think they're a top 10 combination. But they can absolutely potentially finish in the top five or a top three if things go their way. As a predicted finish, I'd probably say somewhere in the sixth to 10th zone would be my predicted result for this car. In car number 19, we've got Alex Davison, who didn't even have a full-time drive at the start of the year. And uh, the interesting thing about Alex Davison is that he's got a 100% finishing record at Bathurst. 15 starts, 15 finishes, and a best result of fourth in 2014, alongside his brother Will Davison. And Jonathan Webb will be his co-driver. 14 starts for John O. Webb at Bathurst. 11 finishes and one win, which was in 2016 alongside Will Davison. So the common factor there is that both Alex Davison and Jonathan Webb have achieved their best Bathurst results alongside Will Davison. And they're not racing with Will Davison this year. So that's that's a shame for both of them. Um, no, just all jokes aside. Um, yeah, I think Team Sydney are going to struggle. Let, let's, let's be brutally honest with, with all of that. They haven't had a... They haven't had a I think Chris Pither had the best result out of the two teams, and that was sixth in Darwin, if I remember correctly. And that was based on tyre quality and him having two fresh sets. Apart from that, the pace of both of them haven't been inside the top 10 this year. So I'm, I'm going to be, unfortunately, brutally honest and say I don't think I see them in the top 10. If they, if, if there's 
incidents in front, then absolutely they can, but they're going to need to rely on a lot of that. I just don't think they have the pace to do it. The combination itself is a very strong combination. Davison's been around the mountain plenty of times, and so is Jonathan Webb. So I don't dispute those two drivers on their merit. They're certainly good enough to do it, but I don't think the package is going to be good enough to do it. And that 15 out of 15 for Alex Davison is always a worry when you've uh, when you've had everyone in the media talk about Alex Davison and his perfect record at Bathurst. Heading into Bathurst, well, yeah, you put an almighty, almighty jinx on him to probably end at, uh, at Bathurst. So, yeah, I, I see this combination between 15 and 25, uh, 16 and 25, sorry, as simple as that. Um, yeah, I just don't think the car package is going to be good enough for them to do anything on their day. We touched on the first of the Team 18 cars before, so we'll move to the second Team 18 car, car number 20, Scott Pye and Dean Fiore. Eight starts for Scott Pye, five finishes, Two second-place finishes in 2017 and 2018 with Warren Luff. Dean Fiore has, has 11 starts, seven finishes, and a best result of sixth in 2017 with Michael Caruso. And the interesting question here, I think that a lot of the comments that we made about Winterbottom and Golding probably apply equally to this car, particularly in terms of their race pace being stronger than their qualifying form. But out of the two Team 18 cars, which one do you think will finish higher up, the Winterbottom Golding car or the Pi Fiore car? Uh, Pi Fiore. Just purely because if Pi's got a car in with him in the next in the last 30 laps, I feel he's got enough um, competitiveness. Well, I wouldn't say Winterbottom's not got competitiveness, but he's got enough um, ability to get past the drivers that he needs to to go forward, whereas I don't think Winterbottom... I think Winterbottom at his career, at the way his career is going at the moment, um, he used to have that, but I don't think he has that right now. Um, to me, this combination is an absolute smoky uh, for the race win in general, but absolutely for a top five. Um, yeah, oh, I've been really impressed with Scott Pye's race form this year. So as long as Dean Fiore can do his job and that car stays out of trouble for 130 laps and puts itself into the right position, it could absolutely do anything. And, we, and don't forget, Scott Pye, takeaway last year, the last two years before that, he's finished second with Warren Luff. Now, those cars for the whole year were not great cars, but when they got to Bathurst, they were really, really good. Now, I'm not saying that Team 18 is going to have the same situation where um, they're going to get to Bathurst and it's going to roll out and be perfect, but if Scott Pye's had a really great season for Team 18, and the years when he finished at Bathurst in second were not so great years. If that package is really good for him, geez, we could see anything. We could absolutely see anything. We could even see a shock podium on the, on the cards. Um, I really rate this combination as a smoky. But again, Dean Fiore's got to do his job as a co-driver as well. He's done done pretty well uh, in previous years. And he's, he's, quite a, he's quite a handy steerer in terms of a co-driver. This is his 12th start now. So... And he's, a lot of them have been done with Michael Caruso. So um, Michael obviously sees his talents and, and rates him highly, and now his, his talents have been acquired by Team 18. So as long as he can keep his head out of trouble and keep the car within the top top 10 at, at times during the race and hand it back to Scott Pye and Pye can then continue it, uh, this combination could do absolutely anything. So I think Tom 10 a minimum, like Team, uh, like team 18, number 18, but they'll be, they'll be potentially pushing for top five, maybe even a sneaky podium if Pike can get the car underneath him for the weekend. 
One of the good things is if they were to get a podium finish or a race win, then Scott Pye would be able to punch out his own video content of the weekend because he runs his own video production and media company on the side. Absolutely. Yep. He can, he can do whatever he wants if he gets on the podium and then he'll have four months to do whatever he wants because then the whole season will be in recess. So, uh, yeah, it'd be a good way to finish the season for him. And he's had a really good season. Uh, I think there were a lot of doubts with his move to Team 18, moving away from Walkinshaw to a, to a smaller team. Um, there were a lot of doubts whether he could replicate his form, but he's been able to do that in buckets. And I think he's had a, probably a better year than than, than his last year at Walkinshaw. Um, so, yeah, full credit to him and the team for, for getting the package right. And, um, yeah, he's been able to do some really good results. From the second team, Aysane Carr, we move on to the second team, Sydney Carr. Car number 22, Chris Pippa, 10 starts, seven finishes, the best result of fourth in 2017 with Dale Wood. And then Steve Bowen, who with 20 starts is the third most experienced driver on the grid at this year's Bathurst 1000. He's finished on 17 occasions and his best result, second in 2010 with Jamie Wincup and 2015 with Mark Winterbottom. Good to see 45-year-old Steve-O back behind the wheel alongside Chris Pippa, but uh, not in a front-running car, Jonesy. Yeah, it's going to be a sweet 21st race for uh, Steve Owen, so hopefully it's a really good one for him. But yeah, pretty much same to the to the car, um, car 19 of Alex Davison and Jonathan Webb. I just don't see the package being good enough to complement the driver, the driving performances of both of them. I just the cars have not been good enough compared to the rest of the field this year. So unless that dramatically improves, I can't see them again being inside the top ten. Between sixteen and twenty-five is where I see. Yeah, great, great to see both of those drivers get a get a get a shot at uh, the mountain once again. And both of them are talented on their day, but yeah, just the package just isn't good enough. Yep. Don't uh, disagree with you on that. Moving on to car number 25 from Walkinshaw Racing. Chaz Mostert, six starts, six finishes. Um, of course, he had the non-start in 2015 when he crashed the car in qualifying, but every time he's actually lined up on the grid, he has seen the chequered flag. Best result, that amazing victory in 2014 with Paul Morris and his co-driver, Warren Luff, a driver who's been on the podium no less than five times at Mount Panorama. 19 starts for Luffy, 13 finishes, and the best results, those two runner-up finishes in 2017 and 2018 with Scott Pye. And uh, I'll tell you what, with the renowned pace of Chaz around Mount Panorama, combined with Warren Luff's podium record, you'd put them as uh, one of the front-running contenders definitely for a top-three finish. I think if you're looking from again, if you're looking for value on the outright market, this is what, another one of those combinations that are just around the mark of being half decent value. You can find it yourself. I'm not going to tell you where to find it, but they're, they're a good money at the moment if you really wanted to have a gamble and do so responsibly. But in relation to the to the um, to the to the combination themselves, I mean. They tickle the boxes. I mean, Chaz Mostert has won Bathurst before. Warren Luff is one of the best co-drivers in the field. And his record in the last few years to get podium finishes has been un- unbelievable. And then look at the team, Walkinshaw Racing. The last three years, they've been on the podium. So you've got um, Scott Pye and Warren Luff doing it in, in 17 and 18. And then last year, Courtney and Perkins did it with um, Walkinshaw again. Now, in those three years, the team struggled, as in to get the results before heading into Bathurst. Well, that hasn't been the case this year. Chas Mostert's been on the podium consistently, 
and he's been quick in that car. So you think if that can transition to the mountain, they're going to be in a better position than they have been in the last three years. And they made the podium those last three years. Plus, you've got a probably a better driver at your disposal than the other two. No disrespect to Scott Pye or James Corney, but just in the trajectory of Chaz's career, that's where he is. And then Warren Love stays around. I think this combination is absolutely right there. And, and again, one of the favourites to take it out. I, I definitely think that the podium at a minimum is their, is their requirement for, this, for that weekend because they tick all the boxes. They tick every single box. The only one, again, is Warren Luff and how much time he's had in the car. But he hasn't spent much time in the car previously and still been on the pace very, very quickly. And he knows how to get pace out of cars at the mountain. And that's going to be vital for that weekend, for the, for the, for the 1,000. So, yeah, this combination, I couldn't rate highly. I think they're, they're, one, they're absolutely the ones to beat, or one of the combinations to beat. The only slight question mark for me, Shane, with this car is some slight inconsistency around the car itself. There's no doubt that Chaz, ably assisted by his gun engineer, Adam DeVore, have made some big strides forward with the performance of the car. And it's the most consistently competitive that we've seen Walkinshaw racing for quite some time. But there have still been some rounds where they might have struggled for a bit of race pace. And you think back to Taylor Bend weekends where it chewed through its tyres really quickly and Chaz qualified well, but then he fell down the order because the car just wasn't looking after its tyres. Um, in saying that, though, I do take your point that their Bathurst form the last couple of years has been good, even though their form throughout the rest of the season hasn't been as strong as what it has been this year. So I think they will roll into Bathurst with a strong package. So, yeah, that would be the only slight doubt that I would have, but uh, 100%. This combination is one that ticks all the boxes, and I see that that car will be one of the podium contenders. We move on to the two Matt Stone racing entries, starting with car number 34 of Jake Kostecki and Zane Goddard. Goddard on debut in the Bathurst 1000. Jake Kostecki, the single start last year and did not finish. It's been a bit of an interesting year for these two drivers because they've been sharing the car. So they've been driving it at alternating rounds, which means that neither one of them has had as much seat time as any of the other full-time drivers in the field, but uh, conversely, they've both had more seat time than a lot of the co-drivers. Yeah, it's funny. They actually share the car together in a weekend rather than handing the keys over at the end of one round to the next round. So that's going to be quite interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to be confident that these guys can do something over the weekend, but, yeah, they really haven't had the pace all year and they've been in the bottom five cars for, for most of the, the year. And, both of them uh, are not really experienced when it comes to Bathurst. Jake obviously made his debut last year and Zane, this is his first appearance. So it doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence that they're going to suddenly be there or thereabouts in the top 10 um, throughout the weekend. I see them in the, in the 16 to 25 bracket. And look, at the end of the day, both of them will just want to race, do well, keep their heads out of trouble and just finish the race. Both of them finish the race, finish inside the top 20. I think that's a really good achievement for both of them. And I think, I think, Everyone complained. Well, there wasn't complaints about the, the program, but a lot of people were doubting the fact that, oh, why are two drivers sharing the one car and it only gives them half a season? None of them can compete for the championship and everything else in between. The reality is they were never going to compete for the championship anyway, but this gives them a perfect opportunity 
to race half the events in the season, compete at the Bathurst 1000 together, and get some valuable experience in the car to not only sell themselves to other teams for the future, but to also just get their foot in the door. And I think the, the program has been very successful, and I'd like to see maybe another one or two um, opportunities given because we all know that motorsport's tough when it comes to gaining the finances and everything required to, to run in the top pinnacles of, of motorsport. That that's that's a that's a given. But this opportunity, for probably half the price, gives you a taste of that. And I think there'd be other drivers out there that are that are more than ready to have a crack at supercars, but probably not in a full time capacity. But you just give them half a season to see how they go. It, it's a great way to add numbers to supercars anyway, because we all want more more supercars in the, in the field. Uh, 24 at the moment, even though there's 25 for Bathurst, but 24 at the moment is, is a little low. We want it to be as high as we can, maybe 30, like it was a few years ago. So this is a great opportunity that, yeah, if you can get a couple of teams together to do one of those one of these things, that's an easy way to add one or two more seats and away you go. Uh, and then it gives other teams the chance to look at these drivers throughout the season in the same package, in the same spec as the, the, the main game, and we can see from there. But it might be for a, a Dunlop Super 2 Series team that wanted to make the step up to the main game by being able to split the budget for a season across two drivers, it might make it a bit more financially viable for them to sell that as a package as well. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. It's something that we might see more of in the future. The other Matt Stone racing Commodore we find, Gary Jacobson, three starts, three finishes, and a best result of eight in 2017 with Jason Bright teaming up with David Russell. Ten starts, eight finishes, and a best result of eight in 2014 with Rick Kelly. And you would have to say that this car probably finishes a bit higher than the other Matt Stone racing car, but um, again, probably outside the top 15. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And I'm not being too sure on Jacobson's season this year because, um, yeah, find he's probably struggled a little bit more than last year when he was with the Nissan team, or Kelly Racing, which was the Nissan team. Um, yeah, I, I think if Jacobson probably assessed his season, he's probably not going to be too pleased with it. I think he was probably expecting to be a little bit more further up the grid, but he just hasn't been able to do that, whether that's through his pursuits in driving or whether that's through the package that he's had. But, yeah, I, I think they'll finish higher than the other Matt Stone Racing team, but probably not by much. Um, I, I still think they're in that 16 to 25 bracket. Um, Dave Russell's a very handy co-driver. He'll provide some valuable assistance. And it's nice to see him back at, nice to see him in the grid as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think the only way that this combination might be in the top 10 is rain. Jacobson can, sh- can has shown in the, in, in the wet conditions, how quick he can be. And I think that's the only chance that these guys are going to get if they really are going to be in the start of the top 10. Because if they can, if we can get wet, wet conditions, Jacobson comes to the fore and is really strong in them. He's incredibly strong. Um, and I think that would be the only way that those guys would be able to get more closer to the top 10. If it's dry, I can't see them being uh, inside the top 15. Moving on to car number 40, which is our one and only wildcard entry for the Bathurst 1000. And as we record the podcast, we're breaking news on this one, Josie, because it was originally going to be Nathan Hearn who would share the Gary Rogers Motorsport Commodore with Tyler Everingham. But Nathan Hearn not granted a super licence. Gary Rogers Motorsport were originally going to appeal that decision. 
they have since withdrawn their appeal and instead they have decided to go with Jaden Ojeda as Nathan Hearn's replacement. But nevertheless, still got two drivers making not only their Bathurst 1000 debut, but also their main game Supercars Championship debut. Absolutely. It was a bit of a weird situation for, for, for it to all happen because um, obviously uh, it was well publicised that Gary Rogers Motorsport uh, with Nathan Hearn were going to take the decision that Motorsport Australia uh, made to court um, and that was in the process of happening before the, the 1000 started. Uh, then Gary Rogers Motorsport released their livery that they'll, they'll be uh, racing with next week or next weekend uh, at the 1000 and then later that day, uh, GRM um, took away the appeal and, and basically cancelled it. So Motorsport Australia released the press release saying it was done and dusted and that would be it on the matter with Nathan Hearn. And then, yeah, not long after, Jaden Ojeda was uh, was announced as the as the driver. So, yeah, fantastic for, for Jaden to get his opportunity, but obviously a bit of a shame for uh, Nathan to, to miss out. But I think, I think this isn't the last we're going to hear of uh, Nathan. We're certainly going to hear him. Uh, hear more of him soon, and yeah, he'll certainly be uh, in with a shot later in later in uh, later in his career to, to get a, a race at Bathurst. So hopefully that isn't too far away. But yeah, a great opportunity for for now for Tyler and um, and Jaden to compete. And I think we got to remember with with Tyler as well. He, he he's pretty much seen all of this uh, play out, and he's probably had doubts himself as to whether he would be racing at the one thousand. But he's got his opportunity now with Jaden and. Yeah, it's a pretty strong combination if you if you ask me. Taking nothing away from Nathan, but you've got two experienced campaigners at, at the Super Two level. So I'm not saying that they're going to go out and win, but they're certainly um, good enough on their day to, to hold their own and and probably put some respect into that into that wild card. So um, I think I mean they won't finish inside the top ten, and I think. 16 to 25 is certainly where I expect them to to fall when the when the race is done and dusted. But I guess at the end of the day, um, if they can impress and do really well and and put the hard yards in, you never know what could come out of this. And it's a brilliant opportunity for both them to showcase themselves heading into 2021. Indeed, it is, and both of them are very talented drivers, as we've seen from their results in some of the junior categories. Tyler Everingham was the Super Three champion in 2018. Jaden Ojeda came very, very close to winning the Super 3 title last year and only got pipped at the post by Brock Phoenix. So they've both had good results in supercar spec machinery. Um, I think probably the only thing is their experience around Bathurst is probably a bit limited. I think Tyler Everingham's done the Bathurst 12-hour, but he had the big crash in the Mark car early this year in qualifying. Um, so for him, there'll probably be a bit of confidence for him to get back in turning some laps around Mount Panorama. But uh, probably the, the other concern as well is the fact that the car itself and the Gary Rogers Motorsport team haven't run at a supercar level all year. So there'll probably be a few uh, bugs to, to blow out of the system as it were when they first hit the track. 100%. And that's going to be the biggest issue for them over the weekend. You've got... You've got drivers that haven't raced at Bathurst before. You've got the team that hasn't raced in itself for, for almost 12 months. And we don't know what's happened with those cars either. I mean, um, for the most part, these cars were, were almost never going to be raced again, not least with the GRM banner uh, on it. So uh, we just don't know what the car's going to be like when it gets to the mountain. Yes, it's had one test day, but I don't know 
if you can take that much out of it. And at the end of the day, Bathurst is a completely different beast to, to Winter Raceway. So it's going to be interesting how that all plays out. And again, if they can finish the race and finish inside the top 10, uh, sorry, inside the top 20, I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really good achievement for both of them. But delivery looks absolutely sweet. It's nice to see Gary Rogers Motorsport back in in supercars. And it's nice to see two rookies get given a, a go for, for that. So I think, it ticks all the boxes. Let's just hope that the two uh, impress over the weekend and, and, and do the job properly and, and don't really hold anyone up and, and make the, the race, uh, I guess, controversial for them being in there and then making a mistake and it costing someone else their, their race. I, as long as that doesn't happen, I think, yeah, I think they, they should do okay and, and hopefully they'll, they'll get a result inside the top 20 and finish. One rookie who has been granted dispensation to get a super licence for the weekend is Brock Feeney, and he will team up with James Courtney in Carter before he for particular racing. James Courtney, 14 starts on the mountain, 11 finishes, and a best result of second in 20, uh, 2007 with David Bernard. Yeah, James Courtney, another one of those unlucky drivers to never win uh, the Bathurst 1000. He's had chances. He's had multiple chances and just not been able to get over the line. Um, look, this combination is is every chance of doing something at the mountain in terms of uh, a strong, solid result. But I guess the issue from my end is if you're assessing the Tickford Racing guys on merit, these guys are probably third or fourth, depending on where you want to put them. Um, so that that puts in a factor because you're obviously going to put time and effort into the more important factors over the weekend. I'm not saying that they're going to deter these guys from winning the race, but you just feel that um, just the experience of Brock Feeney, uh, well, the inexperience, I should say, of Brock Feeney and the fact that, yeah, um, I, I just not sold this combination as is, is, is an outright contender, but certainly on their day, easily a top 10. And James Courtney shown this year that when that car is on, on its on its on its song song with their package, um, Courtney can absolutely be inside the top five and contending for podiums and wins. And he did finish on the podium last year. So um, undersell him to your uh, undersell him to your um, if you if you if basically if you if you undersell him, it will backfire because he can certainly do a job at the mountain. But I just don't think that they're good enough to win uh, this year. In car number 55, we've got Jack LeBrock, who got his first supercars race victory at Sydney Motorsport Park earlier in the year. Five starts on the mountain for Jack LeBrock, four finishes, and a best result of fourth in 2016 with Cameron Waters. His co-driver, James Moffat, 10 starts, eight finishes, and a best result of second in the Nissan in 2014, alongside Taz Douglas. And in some respects, you probably put Jack LeBrock and James Moffat in a similar position to the James Courtney and Brock Feeney car. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? When you look at the Tickford drivers and their positions in the championship, Cameron Waters by far and away the highest placed of the Tickford drivers. He's third in the championship. The other three, Lee Holdsworth, James Courtney and Jack LeBrock are 12th, 13th and 15th respectively in the standings. There you go. I thought Jack might have been second, but yeah, well, well done, well done to Lee, who's uh, second, and yeah, James isn't too far behind. Let's not forget though that James competed in the first round uh, with uh, Team Sydney as well, so that impacted his points getting for the first round. Because I think he DNF'd as well in uh, one of the races because uh, he hit the wall at turn eight. Um, yeah, again, similar to Courtney and Brock Feeney, probably uh, a combination that can do well, but I just have my doubts as to whether they can. Uh, 
contend outright. But having said that, Jack LeBrock on his merit and when he's had the right package, he's been in contention for wins. He won a race in Sydney and probably could have added a second one at Taylor Bend uh, in the first race of the weekend uh, in the first round there. So, um, yeah, he's been, he's, he's been impressive this year. He's, he's certainly shown that he's had he's got the talent to to be worthy of a, of a top team seat. Um, so that's been really, really nice to see from Jack. Again, I just don't know with this combination whether they're good enough compared to the other teams. But if everything goes right with 30 laps to go, they'll certainly be there or thereabouts. I think top five is is realistic. I think they can do it on their day. But I think just top 10, um, yeah, I think around the 8 to 12 mark is probably where you're going to see them when this race is finished. Three more combinations to get through. We're giving pretty comprehensive analysis of each combination, which is good. Plenty of listening material for those of you who are lucky enough to be among those 4,000 spectators making the drive up to Bathurst. And uh, good listening material for everybody else who will be tuning in on TV at home as well. Car number 97, Red Bull Holden Racing Team, Shane Van Gisbergen, 13 starts, 11 finishes, Two runner-up results, 2016 with Alex Premer and 2019 with Garth Tander. JT joins SVG once again. 21 starts, 14 finishes, three race victories. 2000 with Jason Bargwana, 2009 with Will Davison and 2011 with Nick Perkett. Definitely one of the contenders. And if it rains, watch out for the gears. Absolutely. And uh, I think... Well, here's a question. Last season and during the Pertec Enduro Cup, how many races did Red Bull Holden Racing Team win? They won Sandown and all the Gold Coasts except for Bathurst. Yeah. So they, they nailed every single race except for the one that was probably the most important. But uh, Shane Van Gisberg and Gartan are still finished second. So, again, back to the probably number 17 when we assess them. These, this combination is going to be there or thereabouts. They're absolutely one of the favourites for, for the for the race. And, um, yeah, they, they definitely can and probably should win on the Sunday. I guess that the key is when you've been in multiple Bathursts, you've had multiple chances to win Bathursts, and you can't get over that line, how much does that impact you getting over that line? We've seen it multiple times with multiple drivers where you finish second multiple times or you have engine failures or whatever, getting that illustrious one win has always been the issue. And Shane Van Gisbergen is starting to get into that territory. Should have won a few years ago, um, was it 2014 with Jonathan Webb until he had that um, starter motor failure, then finished second in 2016 and finished second in last year. So, like... You're going to get to a point where you just feel, and the and the confidence thing is going to be like, am I actually ever going to win one of these? Like so, Len Seaton. Like Len Seaton, like James Courtney, like Brad Jones, like multiple others that have come to the mountain and just not been able to do it. So that's my only concern about this combination. Um, can can Van Gisbergen just get over that line to get that first win? Um they can. They absolutely can. And Garth Tander's won it multiple times. So they absolutely can. But just, yeah, once you get that that second placing three or four times and you sit there going, mm, am I actually going to get one? Then the creep, the, the doubt starts creeping in. 
and then that becomes a really big issue. So um, I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think Shane's going to be absolutely confident he can get the job done. But, yeah, just can they get over that line, that that mystery line that gives them the 1,000 wins? That's the biggest question. But they're there. They're there or thereabouts. Um, Red Bull know how to win Bathurst. They know how to lose Bathurst as well, but they always put themselves in that position to win. So I have no doubt that these guys are going to be there too. In car number 99, second of the Erebus Motorsport entries, Anton De Pasquale, two starts, one finish, and that finish was 24th in 2018 with Will Brown. This year, Anton is being joined by Brody Kostecki, who has one start and no finishes at DNF last year. But uh, Anton De Pasquale, he's been in pretty good form recently. He's moved up to eighth in the championship ahead of his teammate, David Reynolds, and he did get his first supercars race victory at hidden valley early this year as well yeah it's going to be this is a fascinating combination because it could go well most combinations could go different ways but this one of uh, this one in particular could go i'll start with the the elephant in the room what's happening with anton in 2021 if i was erebus and if i was whoever's dealing with anton at the moment i would almost announce what's going on in 2021 before the 1000 just to get it over and done with just to not make it an issue of point of talking or whatever for the weekend, because I got a feeling that whatever's happening in 2021 or the, the lack of communication with everything is going to probably impact his Bathurst 1000 chances. We saw it with Chaz last year when there was the conjecture about what he was doing that clearly had an impact in the last three or four rounds of his um, championship. We all saw what happened at Bathurst last year with him and Cameron Waters. And I have a feeling that Anton will have the similar impact with that if his future isn't out public or if there's people hounding him about what he's doing in 2021. So that needs to be resolved as quickly as possible. In relation to the team itself, you're right. Anton's been in really great form uh, recently at Tail and Bend and in previous rounds as well. He's been the leading Erebus Motorsport Drive, and I actually think that they're the leading combination for Erebus heading into the 1000 this year. Funny to say, despite the fact that Reynolds has finished second and first in two of the last three years, but I just feel that on form, these guys are a better combination than uh, Reynolds and Will Brown. My only concern is whenever Anton has come to the mountain, he has struggled. Not, or actually, he struggled in general. Like this year, he came to the 12 hour. Hardly got any time in the car because his car was um, in, a, in a massive crash uh, on the Saturday uh, that ended their chances of actually racing in the 12 hour. So he didn't get much seat time there. And then when he's been with Erebus, the two chances that he's had, one was the, the DNF last year when he had a crash at the top of the mountain and rode off the car. And in 2018, he finished 24th. So his experience of the mountain hasn't been a good one so far. And again, back to the Van Gisbergen point, if you start having multiple bad luck, bad bad races there, you start having doubts in your mind and it starts becoming sort of more and more and it becomes more of an avalanche. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that impacts this weekend. Brody, Brody um, drove amazingly last year with the, the Kostecki team when they raced the, the wild card. Um, him and Jake were actually quite impressive in different, different races uh, in the Enduro Cup. So he's got a very handy co-driver by his side. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. If they can get the form, the package and everything else, top 10 for sure for this combination and maybe even a top five if Anton is uh, is right there or thereabouts with 30 laps to go. But 
I just worry that there's a lot of factors that I don't like with this combination. The pressure on what's happening with Anton in 2021 and just his record at the mountain is not great at the moment. So I think I think there's other combinations to look at if you're looking for ones that are, that are going to be more than likely in the top five. You would hope that they would finish in the top 10 on form, provided nothing goes wrong for them, I think is what we say with that one. And uh, yeah, I agree. Brody Kostecki, a very capable co-driver, and he's had some good results in Super 2. So we move on to our last combination then, which is the only combination in the field this year with the three-digit number. It's the Triple Eight Red Bull Holden Racing Team Commodore. Jamie Winkup, 18 starts, 17 finishes, and best result. First 2006, 07, and 08 with Craig Lowndes and 2012 with Paul Dumbrell. Craig Lowndes, 26 starts, 23 finishes, seven wins. 1996 with Greg Murphy, 2006, 07, and 08 with Jamie Wincup. 2010 with Mark Scaife, 2015 and 2018 with Stephen Richards. In terms of credentials, experience, and their past record at the mountain, you can't really go past this combination, probably the biggest question for me, out of the two Triple Eight cars, the two Red Bull Holden Racing Team machines, which one of them is actually going to finish higher on race day? Well, if you had a said probably in 2019 who would have finished higher, I reckon I would have gone Van Gisbergen and Tanda just because of Van Gisbergen's form over the year. But if you're comparing form this year, it's probably Wing Cup and Lounge. And as you mentioned, their credentials are there. Um, they've had the most starts out of a combined combination with 44. Uh, they've won Baptist multiple times. They know how to get the job done. I think last year they got really hurt with the Debris, Debris, Debris. So you can't really look at that as to, oh, well, that was their chance to miss Baptist and, and that sort of thing. I just think that they lost their opportunity to win because of, I think they were the ones that had to double stack behind Tanner and Van Gisbergen in the final stop and then they, their strategy was completely compromised. So um, they finished fourth in the end and still charged to a strong position. So, I mean, they're, they're going to be there or thereabouts. You can't, you can't, you can't not say that. Um, whether they can win, absolutely. But, yeah, just the biggest issue is it's been eight years or well, nine years now, uh, you know, eight years this year since – Win Cup won, and there's been multiple times where he's had a chance to win Bathurst and through mistakes of his own accord and other mistakes that they've just not been there. Um, they've not been able to take that that win. And as I said before, Red Bull have a great knack of putting their cars in contention to win. But in terms of actually winning, they just haven't been able to do it. Um, the last win for, for Red Bull Holden Racing Team, uh, I think, was... 2015 because the 2018 win was with the off off shot team with Mounds and Richards. So it's been almost five years, I think, since they've actually won a Bathurst 1000 as a team. So that's a long time between drinks for Red Bull Holden Racing Team. So you start to wonder why they create the opportunities to win, but then just can't do it. So um, that's the only question mark I have. Can they, can they actually grab the trophy when it's there and to be available. Like, can they actually do it? Because they always seem to be in trouble in some respects during a race. Can they grab? That's the only, that's the only, that's the only question that I have. Everything else ticks all the boxes, drivers, team, package, everything else. They'll be there just whether they can take it on the day. One of the other questions for me is that 
across pit lane, you'd have to say that it's probably the strongest team across two cars. But if we do get that situation where there's double stacking during pit stops, which car loses? Because obviously there will be one that may have to be compromised at some point. And that's something to, uh, to keep an eye on over the course of the race. And in fact, we might just turn our attention to strategy. We'll quickly finish up this podcast because uh, we've done a very, very in-depth analysis of every car in the field. But uh, when it comes to strategy, just the, the one thing that I wanted to raise is that once again this year, we've got seven compulsory pit stops. And uh, the compulsory pit stop regulation for Bathurst was introduced back in 2013, which was the first year of car of the future. And the reason for it was because we had uh, a few different manufacturers who didn't have the fuel economy. So the Nissan and the Mercedes and then the Volvo engines didn't necessarily have the fuel economy or the fuel range of the existing Holden Ford engines. So to balance it out, they made it mandatory for everybody to make seven pit stops during the race. Now that we're back to two manufacturers, I'd quite like to see them go back to not having compulsory pit stops anymore because I think that in endurance racing, it should be up to the teams and up to how the individual outfits want to strategize and, uh, and get to the race. Um, we do know that, in theory, you could actually get through Bathurst on six pit stops based on the fuel range of the cars. So... Uh, in your view, Jonesy, would you like to see them do away with compulsory pit stops now that engine fuel economy equality is not so much of a factor? Uh, it's a tough question. I'll be brutally honest on that. It's a tough question because if you have enough safety cars through the day, most teams are probably going to do seven stops anyway. So it puts the strategy component out of it anyway. Um, and I think, I think, I think with that, it, it, the seven stops probably adds to the double stacking that we have. I reckon if you do if you do what you suggested and you have, oh, hey, teams, you can do um, six stops to get to the finish, there's no compulsory pit stops required. You can do six and get home. Then you might see teams who go, well, to be honest, we're terrible on fuel economy. So what we'll do is we'll put one team in the, in the window of like the first 15 laps and then go – 15 and then stop, 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 stop. And then the others you'll run to the, to the uh, end of their fuel tank and then stop. And then that would avoid the double stacking until we get a safety car where it's, I guess, in the benefits of both teams, both um, cars to pick. But when you put the seven compulsory pit stops in the situation, well, then you just evenly spread out the stops to stop and then rely on safety cars to fill in the blanks if you need to. So it really takes away the strategy. But I guess on the, on the counterbalance, if you look at the last four or five years, or uh, you said 2013 was when it started. So if you look at the last six Bathursts, every single Bathurst pretty much right at the end has had multiple contenders in multiple cars in contention for the race win. That's what we want. So if that's what we get when we put seven compulsory pit stops in, then keep it the way it is. I have no issues with that as long as it provides the really great racing. And we always get to 30 laps to go in the end anyway, and everyone's done five, six or seven stops anyway, and then it becomes a fuel window. Can you get the safety car 28 to go and rely on fuel to get you home, or will we get 110 to go or whatever? I, I, I still feel that the race is decided right at the end anyway so the first 120 laps are always just getting to that 120 not losing a lap being in the top five 
fighting on from there. So the pit stops these days really don't put you in the contention with strategy unless we go green for a very long period of time. And I know for a fact that this year we won't go green for a very long period of time. I'll be amazed if we have a green period of more than 60 laps this year. There'll be mistakes from drivers because they haven't been to the mountain before um, or they haven't had enough experience in the car this year or teams will make mistakes. Like, things will happen this year that will make sure we won't be in more periods of time. So I reckon seven or eight is going to be required to finish the race anyway, given the safety cars we're going to have this year. So again, compulsory pit stops, not really an issue at the moment, but I think in future, and particularly when we do get to the new Gen 3 in the car of the future, I think that's when we really need to reassess it because we're going to have new manufacturers in hopefully. And then hopefully with the fuel windows and different things, we might get a strategy where a whole, well, not a Holden, but a Ford might have to do seven stops to get to the finish line, but another manufacturer may only have to do five. I would like that to happen. So we have something along the lines of a 12 hour where some teams are better with fuel, but other teams are better with pace. And then it balances out over the day. That would be really exciting to see. But at the moment, I don't think the compulsory pit stop is really an issue. All right. Well, let's finish up with our predictions for the Bathurst 1000. So, Shane, to start off with, I want your top three finishes. All right. I'll go with Davison and Waters to finish first. I'll go Winkup and Lowndes to finish second. And I'll go Mostert and... Love to finish third. So no DJI Team Penske drivers in the top three. Do you have a dark horse for us? Yeah, Nick Percat and Thomas Randall. I think those guys are value. And first retirement. Oh, you're putting the pressure on me. Um, <laughs> who am I going to give the poison chalice to? Um, look, I hope he doesn't do it, but I think... Maybe Todd Hazelwood and Jordan Boys. There we go. I'll just go for a completely random one because that's what first retirement is always about, completely random. So I think they might be the first ones. So my top three then. So I'm going to tip Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander for the win. I think SBG will finally get the job done. Um, I think DJR Team Penske will get on the podium. So I'm going to say Scott McLaughlin and Tim Slade finish second. And then Cameron Waters and Will Davison in third. Um, my dark horse is Scott Pye and Dean Fiore. And for first retirement, I'm going to go with Alex Davison and Jonathan Webb. I think that, uh, unfortunately for Alex, there's been a bit too much for him in the media about his 100% finishing record at the mountain. One final question for you, Lachlan. Will we see a lap record broken at the mountain next week? No, I don't think we'll see a lap record. Um, and I don't think we'll see a race record either um, based on the weather predictions. I reckon we will. And the only basis or the only, the only situation I base it on is the only round that we've had this year in terms of hard tyres to hard tyres um, compared to last year was Adelaide. Adelaide had hard tyres. Then we had Adelaide at hard tyres again this year. And Chas Moster broke the lap record there uh, in in march all the way back in march so i have a feeling that that may translate to uh, to bathurst given the aero changes and everything else i think that might actually suit the situation at bathurst that we might actually see them go a little bit quicker Ooh, all right we'll have to wait and see what happens but anyway that concludes our mega 
Bathurst 1000 preview. Shane, thanks very much for your time and expert comments and uh, bring on Mount Panorama. Things may have changed this year, but what won't be changing will be the Bathurst 1000's ability to deliver an epic, enthralling endurance race. And if there's anything we've learned from this preview, it's that there will be as many intriguing storylines in the field as there ever have been. Whether you're one of the lucky 4,000 trackside spectators, or you're sitting at home on the couch, there's no doubt you'll be treated to a fine show in the 2020 edition of The Great Race. I'm Lockie Mansell. Thanks for listening.